Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 10 of the Bearded Chat podcast. Today, we have serial entrepreneur, award-winning content marketer, and an international speaker and author of five best-selling Amazon books. Uh, and he's also the co-founder of Black Hops, Breed It on the Gold Coast, uh, that's sold around the country. Please welcome my guest, Dan Norris. And we're live, episode number 10 of the Bearded Chat Today's guest is Mr. Dan Norris, uh, co-founder of Black Ops and many other things, man. Thanks so much for coming along. No worries. I'm, I'm, I feel like we should address the elephant in the room because I've, I realized that I own a brewery. I'm doing a podcast next to a brewery. We talked about drinking beer on the podcast and I rocked up like an asshole with no beer. <laughs> and then, and then I said, I will get beer, but it won't be cold. Yes. And now it's ice car. cold. It's ice cold because I've got a fucking brewery next door, so I can just grab exactly. it from there. And you're doing the podcast in a distillery or future distillery. Yeah. And I also <laughs> brought a coffee for myself and didn't bring anyone here anything. That's all right, man. You're our guest anyway. We're, so, off, to, we're off to a good start. Well, uh, thanks so much for coming on. Matt, you are a man of many talents. Uh, I was reading about you and it was uh, in the background – it took you seven years or eight years of failed businesses before you were an overnight success, which is like the literal standard story on any business person. Yeah. But how, what made you get into business and what was your background before you get in? Because I know you went to QUT. Um, I think you graduated two years before I graduated high school. <laughs> I didn't realize you were that much older than me. That was a but weird flex. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what, you, what you're trying to say. You look great though for your age. I, well, thank you. I do look great. You look younger I'm than 31, me. I'm 31, so you must be like 20. You're 31? I mean, something like that. Yeah, I'm 34. Okay, there you go. Yeah, so we're, exactly. We're, similar. We're, we're the same, same, but different. Yeah. So, But how did you get into what made you in business and what was your, your background before you... Well, like I said before, this railway table here, I worked at the railway. I, I like to say I worked at the railway because it makes me sound like some kind of lumberjack or some shit. Yeah. But I just worked behind a desk. Um, I So, yeah, I... I worked there with Eddie, who's my current co-founder at Black Ops. We we're in training and development. I was I did a HR degree. Yes, I saw that. Which proved to be very useful like 15 years later because all we do now is HR. Yep. Um, but I didn't really like HR, so I started working with the government. I, I wanted to do like computer shit okay. or design stuff. Yep. And the government is just so flexible. Like I could basically just make my own job there. And you so can't get fired. It's very fucking hard <laughs> to get fired. Yeah. I know people have been trying to be made redundant and they're well, like, oh my God, we can't do that. Don't worry, you're safe. Well, that's what ended up happening to Eddie. So he got made redundant a month or two before we started Black Ops and he used that money to put into Black Ops. Amazing. So it was perfect for him. Wow. But I left 10 years earlier. Um, I, I stayed there for four years, but it, but I kind of just invented my job there. Like I was like, okay, I don't want to do HR, but I want to do like online learning and build online training programs, learn how to program, learn how to do design. I didn't do any of this shit at uni because it, it was a business HR degree. Yeah. They paid for me to do like a project management course, a training course, a multimedia course. I paid for someone to come to my house and like teach me Photoshop. Um, I learned programming myself just out of those things, really? teach yourself books. So you like deep down a nerd. I suppose. <laughs> I mean, I didn't, I think I d it was just interesting to me, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and then, I, and then I was like, okay, I want to do this at work. So I started programming um, online training courses in Flash. Yep. And QR didn't have anyone who knew how to do, like legitimately know how to code in ActionScript and do Flash stuff. And we were paying a fortune for it. Well, so I was like, I'll just learn it. It's such a talent. Like, what was it like going through and learning code? Because for me, it's like looking at the Matrix and like, I have no idea. Like, it is for me now too. Like, I, it was so fun. I just remember just get like, like 
one weekend I went and bought a Sam's Teach Yourself JavaScript book. Yeah. And then I would just like spend the whole weekend just learning through that book and learning how to code. And then I went to PHP, MySQL, learned all of that. Eventually, I just got bored of the government and thought I'd start my own business doing websites and e-learning. Yep. And the first project, I didn't have, I'd never built a website before, like an actual live website. Mm. First project was my partner at the time, her company wanted a CMS for their website. Okay. And they're an aged care company, like quite a big one. <laughs> um, I fucking hope this website's not still alive. Because <laughs> they were like, because um, I was like, you, you can get these, that would, it was just starting to get to the point where people were building CMSs that you could use. Like Joomla was one I used. Drupal was around. WordPress wasn't. I too remember far Joomla. Off. That, that was so hard because I remember I launched one of my business, my first businesses on that. And I'm like, I have no idea. What it I'm was doing. pretty confusing. Yeah. yeah, it looked it looked nice. It, looked it was as aesthetically beautiful and it was powerful. Yeah, and free. It was like this is amazing. You can just get this thing for free and just customize it. And um, but anyway, this first project I did, I started learning about all of that. And the guy I met with the IT guy, and he's like, Oh yeah, we want this to be done in ASP. What's that? It's just a Microsoft programming language. It was outdated okay. at the time. It's even more outdated now. Yeah. It was like the precursor to .NET and these other kind of, I don't even know what they build on now. Um, but I was like, okay, cool. I'll do that. Like I literally said yes on the spot. I'd never used ASP in my life. I'd never built a CMS before because you didn't need, you, you didn't really, you kind of had Excel. to build them. <laughs> Back then. Yeah. So, and people didn't have CMS websites. They have they had static websites. And if you want to change it, you paid your web developer. Absolutely. Yeah. Shopify and all that changed the game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and WordPress and Joomla. Well, and all actually, of that. WordPress probably WordPress changed the game. WordPress changed the game. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, so I agreed to that, built this thing. I mean, I, I hate to think how insecure this website was. Like, <laughs> I literally built an ASP <laughs> website without knowing any ASP, built the database, just learned it in a book. How long did that take you? A couple of weeks. Oh, so not that long at all. No. Oh. Um, it was all, yeah. There was a lot out there. There was a lot of books. Those Sam's Teach Yourself books. There was like Google Groups back then. I, I, maybe there still is Google Groups, but you could just Google yeah, shit and, I can't and figure it out. Yeah, exactly. everything's on the internet now. If you, it's way better now. Literally, if you now. can't do something now, you are lazy. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Because you if you've got time to spend on that, and you might not have the capital, but you can learn how to raise capital as well. So I think I think it's like a mentality thing, like it's and it's it's an overwhelmed thing. Like there's so much shit out there, and yeah. it is actually hard to learn something. I've always found it easy to learn something if I really throw myself in the deep end and need to learn it. Like 100%. that was my first website. If I fucked that up, I would not have I would not have a business today. Mm. Like I needed that website to get word of mouth referral to the next website and the next one and the next one. That company ended up going to the next company, the next company, and it got me to here. So I knew I couldn't fuck this up, this website. So that up. was just a, had you started a business then or was it just a project that you were doing? No, I quit my job. Yeah, yeah, okay, quit cool. It, yeah, I got, I got, I literally got a promotion to a pretty high level. I mean, for a 26 year old. Yeah. Um, and quit a couple of weeks later and just started. I'm just like, I'm going to do this entrepreneurship thing. Wow. Yeah, and that what, was the first project. What was that change? Like what changed in you? to be able to do that because it's a massive thing like you're a government worker safety is like the most the cushy security all that thing yeah what made you flick the switch to go into the hardest riskiest thing you can ever do well i mean i was never i was never going to last too long in the government i just it was just an opportunity to get paid more and then and then as i found out an opportunity to learn a lot and work in a really flexible environment cool um i think I, at uni, I did an entrepreneurship course, which as uh, a subject, which I enjoyed. Um, when I started working with the government, I worked with a programmer who was contracting and I was working with him a lot. And we were 
kind of brainstorming a lot on back and forth, like what he's doing with his business and things he was working on. And it just kind of got me excited about potentially doing something myself. Yeah. Um, and I just remember back to the conversation I had with a, a guy at uni, my mate who was just like, I'm just, I'm going to be successful. I'm, I'm sure of it. Awesome. And I'm like, that self-belief. How the fuck does, how the fuck is he so confident? Like I'm smarter <laughs> than this motherfucker. I wasn't anywhere near as good looking as him though. So there's that. Um, but yeah, I just, I just figured I, and then I started reading books. I read like Rich Dad, Poor Dad was a real big one. Yeah. I, read I remember that one. walking home reading that. That's it. And I was like, damn started it. Started to shift your paradigm and of thoughts, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And then at, once I read that and I was like, okay, I'm doing this. I, I was just like, fucking send it. Now's the time, you know? Awesome. Yeah. And so you've kicked off this uh, first business. Uh, did you actually set up a company or was it just like? Yeah, I'm just an ABN. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, so sole trader. Yep. Straight into it. And then did that rig and then pulled it off, obviously. I mean. Fairly successfully. Not really. Like I, <laughs> like I, I've always, whenever I've started a business, I've been basically, if I can earn like a minimum wage, yep. then that's good enough. You know, as a kind of, if I can't do that, I'm fucked. If I can do that, that's something to build on, you know, and that's going to be better than working a job and it'll give me a chance to build something better than that. Yep. Um, and so I always had this figure in my head, 40 grand a year, which is like, if I can make that. You can live. Then I can live. Yeah. yeah. And I, I did have a mortgage and I had a pretty supportive, a very supportive wife who earned money and could pay the mortgage. And it was before property went nuts. Like we didn't have a massive mortgage compared to these days, what people have to do. Yeah. So I could, I could earn a minimum and get through, which I did, but I, it never went over about 40 grand a year for seven years. Yep. And it was just so like, you go into it thinking you're going to be fucking rich. And then after seven years of earning minimum wage, like I was earning 70 grand, 75 grand, I think at the railway back in 2005. Mm. And so I never earned more than that until about a decade, 15 years later or something, not yeah. 15, a decade later. And everything you do goes back into it. It's a lot of people I think uh, who are first time in business as well make that mistake. They see cash flow coming in and they're like, rich, yeah. but no, no, that's cash flow <laughs> to be re-diverted back into your business and, and growing it. Yeah, well, it was. Re it's a really, it was very competitive. Bu like building websites is almost like the most generic kind of competitive thing you can get into. And I, w I wasn't a designer. I wasn't a developer, really. I was just self-taught. Mm. I, I realized that pretty early on and realized I had to pay people to do the work for me. It, it was basically like a tradie. I have this conversation with my with our tradies all the time. Like they, they would have a pretty decent business if they did all the work, but you would only get to a point. It's not scalable. It's not scalable at all. And you burn yourself out. And then when you get to the point of hiring people, you lose all of the money you had to pay yourself. Yep. It's fucking hard. <laughs> and I was in that cycle for seven years and I couldn't get out of it. It's no matter what I try. And I tried fucking everything, including um, buying other web development firms, buying websites that ranked high in Google. Really? Every kind of marketing you can think of, I, I tried. So what was the magic touch? What pushed you over to be able to scale it up? I gave up. Oh, did you? Yeah. You finished up on that one? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I went to like a course uh, kind of thing in the Philippines where it was like start your business in two weeks. Yeah. Um, this actually happened from listening to a podcast called The Tropical MBA. Okay. Which used to be called The Lifestyle Business Podcast. I think I remember listening to some of that stuff. It's really good. Yeah, it yeah, yeah. Good. yeah. Um, it sort of came out of that whole Tim Ferriss four-hour work week crowd. Yep. yep. And um, just got me really excited. There was people traveling around the world, working on these online businesses that, you know, 
you know when you hear something on a podcast it sounds way more exciting than what you're doing yes yeah so it was that and then i went to this thing and basically on the way over i was like i'm just going to sell this and i'm going to completely start from scratch and build a startup for those people who are listening to the audio i'm doing that in inverted commas (laughs) um and yeah, so so when I was over there, I literally started conversations to sell that business. I sold it for I think sixty grand. Yep, which is obviously fuck all. Like I had, what what type of revenue was a turnover? Hundred grand a year. Yeah, hundred fifty okay. grand a year. Yeah. yeah, and um, still probably forty grand left for me to pay myself. Yep, it it, it was, but a lot of that was end up being recurring because I had like I had hosting, reselling, and mm. I had um, support, you know, monthly website support, that kind of thing. Um, so I sold it for basically, you know, a year's worth of, I suppose you could call it profit, but it's not really profit because it's just you paying yourself to work. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I had a two or 300 clients locally on the Gold Coast, really good clients, um, schools, car dealerships, that kind of stuff, which I'd bought from another business. I had the, the number one ranking website in Google for keywords like website design, web design, web really? development, all of that. Um, and I sold all that, I, you know, the, the, my Twitter account had like, 7,000 followers. There was, there was quite a lot. My email list was 10, 15,000. I sold, all, I, I literally started from scratch. Wow. I sold all of it for 60 grand and I thought, okay, I've got 60 grand. That gives me a year to build something else. Yep. And so did you have a, did you already have a, um, a plan or an idea for the no. next one? Just like, boom, let's have some time off, reset. No time, fuck no. No, no time just off. straight into it? Yeah, I was, I was like, okay, I'm going to do something. Sound like me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be so bored if I had time off. Um, the three ideas I had, one was building a surfing app to enable surfers to kind of check into their local break and, you know, say what the conditions are like. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And I called it Surfable. I actually started working on that. I paid a developer to start building an app for me. I had no idea how I would make money on it. Um, that was one. The other one was a random conversation I had with someone about the fact that it was hard to buy stands for pot plants that were heavy duty. <laughs> So, and, I, and, and I go into Bunnings now and I'm like, there's a lot of these things. So like that could have yeah. been a really good one. This was, this was 2012. Um, I'm sure I wasn't the first person to think of heavy duty pot plant stands. That, but how do you, <laughs> again, there's so many great ideas out in the world, but it's very few people execute as well. Because mm. if you execute on every idea, you would yeah, just be a mess. Yeah, and it's yeah, timing too. Exactly. And, and and it's kind of subject to like domain expertise as well. I don't fucking, I don't even like plants. I mean, I do like plants now. I didn't yeah. then. I wasn't a guard. I know nothing about plants. Um, the other one was an analytics dashboard for businesses to pull in your stats from different services and then display them in a centralized dashboard. Okay, yeah, yeah. And that one I like because I like line charts. And yes. I was like, it'd be cool to have all my line charts in one spot. And I still like that. Like I have people who... who Send me this for my current business every week, every month. I love fucking reports. Yep. Um, but again, I just went into, and that was the one that I chose because I was like, okay, this one, I've got a little bit of subject domain expertise. I can kind of understand how this would work. I was so stupid going into that. Like there's heaps of these apps that exist already. Like Google literally have one that's the most powerful thing you've ever fucking seen in your life. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, I went into building this thing. So out of those, you chose the, yep. the last one. Yeah. And... And I went on this journey for a year and it, it involved, wrote a shitload of content. Like the first day I started that business in the Philippines, I wrote 13 blog posts on so that, you on that were, day. Did you move to the Philippines to No, this? just the two, this two-week build a business. Yeah, thing. okay, cool. Yeah. And the first day I wrote 13 blog posts for the new blog. This thing was going to be called Web Control Room. I uh, got the domain name. 
got all the screenshots up, put up a little page with a PayPal button. I fucked around with payment processes for so long. Um, fuck, I could talk about that for three <laughs> hours. Just the payment processes that I fucked around with. Ludicrous. Um, like PayPal and all that? Or I your, own, just put your a, own gateway? Your no, way. no, no. I, I should have just put a PayPal button, but I was like, no, I need to have more options. I need it to be perfect. Um, I had a PayPal button. I implemented Google Wallet and then realized that it wasn't, uh, wasn't allowed to be used in Australia. That yeah. took me a couple of weeks Jesus. and a lot of money. Yeah, I, I started talking to banks about eWay. Yep. I ended up implementing Braintree. And like th- this was like proper payment gateways that you need to go to the bank and get approval for and all of this shit. This is before Stripe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, and this is before I had customers too. So like I was just, I was like, this is going to be really good. I ended up launching it. I changed the name. I, I, I ended up getting a domain called Informly, inform.ly. Yep. I paid a couple of grand for that. Yep. And I went on lots of podcasts. I actually went, did like an Ask Jason on This Week in Startups, which was my favorite podcast. Cool. It still is one of my favorite podcasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just, and then eventually launched this thing and I had 10, pe- 10 people sign up at $9 a month. Excellent. Good start. Well, that was after about after <laughs> How much about you put in? <laughs> All of it. <laughs> Yeah, and, and not just the money, the time. So it yeah, was, 100%. It was, yeah. a year of your life. So I had a couple of months and I was like, okay, I can do this pivot thing. I'd read the the, um, the book, The Lean Startup. Mm-hmm. I tried to pivot it into content analytics and all this other shit and it was just, it was going absolutely nowhere. And I was writing a lot of content, like income reports, showing people what I was doing and how badly it was going. And So you're, doing, you're being very transparent yeah. uh, as to create that content as well, which is, yeah. I was lo- looking through your other businesses and you've done that the whole way through, which I think is amazing because it really involves your customer, people who know your business, they fall in love with the story and they really engage it as well. Yeah. And it's definitely a thing now for yeah. companies to do. Back then it was, you're kind of going out on a limb. Yes. Not many people yeah, were you doing were it. Definitely ahead of your time on that. Well, there was other people doing it, but there was a lot of people not doing it. So there was guys like, like the internet marketers, like Pat Flynn, guys like that were doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, when Buffer launched they they were doing it um and there was a bunch of us but now it's you know it's kind of a thing yes but um it, it just suited me to do that style of marketing like i didn't really I've, I've never done any other style of marketing that i actually feel like i'm good at or you know other than just making a product that looks good 100 um yep. so i enjoyed that aspect of it but i wasn't getting any customers to this business and i i needed to fucking survive so i ended up Shutting that down. I had like two weeks left. I started looking at applying for jobs. I was living on the Gold Coast, applying for jobs in Brisbane, thinking I might have to drive to Brisbane, get a job somewhere. I was literally looking at the sort of jobs I would have easily gotten seven, eight years earlier. Yeah, Like wow. I would have walked into that. But then I was thinking like, I haven't actually done this work for eight years. Like what have I done for eight years? I'm not going to get a job as a programmer because there's way better programmers. Learning. You're learning. I mean, do you get paid for that? I don't, I don't know. No, absolutely not. But you, I always say to people um, that you go through everything in your past to get to where you are right now so you can do everything you need to do in the future. Because without that yeah. learning, you won't be getting to where you need to be. Well, it's been very useful as a business owner. I don't know how useful it would have been in a job for yeah, someone I else. Yeah, I agree on that. I agree on that. Um, Depen- and then, depending on what type of job you had, obviously. Yeah, I suppose if you, if you got a job in the kind of startup ecosystem kind of... But then it was it was all failure as well. Like it wasn't like I'd had a success story I could share with people. It was just like, I've done this, I've fucked it up for seven years. What good are you? You know what I mean? It was, it was a fucking low point, I'll tell you that. I hear you. It's, again, this is what I always say to, uh, uh, what I always call out entrepreneurs, people who want to be an entrepreneur, but they don't want to do the work. 
but it is literally the hardest fucking thing you never know your life. And you have, have you had kids? No, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> All my mates have, but I haven't yet. So I've heard that is I'm not willing to do take my eyes off this baby yet. Yeah, right. <laughs> go, yeah. go through. Well, doing that while having kids was actually pretty thirsty. Yeah. Have one of your beverages. Yep, this is the East Coast Haze. So this is talking about other forms of marketing. This is the first beer we've ever launched where we've paid for marketing. Okay. This is actually in, one of the first times I've ever paid for marketing, you know, in a kind of reasonably... Like uh, mainstream marketing through... Really, other than just... Yeah. Cheers, mate. Anything paid. Thanks so much for coming on. Cheers. Um, all right, so you you finished up that. Let me see get some of this. Oh, it's delicious. Yeah, this is this is... So good. I think I had one of these um, down at the brewery the other day. Yeah, we only that, launched it and a that, couple of weeks ago. That cloud, big bop. A cream 10%. cloud? Oh, cream cloud. 10.1%. Oh, my yeah. God. You need to try that. 10%. Yeah. There's no heat on it. No, it's, it's pretty, unbelievable. It's pretty deadly. It is deadly. And yeah. I was like, can I have a schooner of it? And the boys are like, no. No, you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, you've, you've put all your time and energy for a year into this new business. Is it informally? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then that, um you're on the rocks with yeah, nine I, customers. I had to give up. Like it, it was I was doing four hundred and seventy six dollars a month in recurring re- revenue. It was costing me two and a half grand. I had a developer in the Philippines out of actually th- a few developers working on it. Um and then I said, Okay, we're gonna have to shut this down, shut it down. And I was literally just on I was out with my kids on this like Miniature animal farm with like little bulls and shit. So you had you had a full family at the time as well. Yeah, I had very young kids. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Um, going through a divorce at, as well. It was <laughs> fucked. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. How um, did how did you manage your mental health during that? Because I'll get into a bit more later, but um, I know that's one thing that is super hard uh, when you're trying to do something because it's like people just don't talk about it, but it's it bashes you up. Yeah. So hard, and then you've got all those external factors going on as well. How do you deal with that? I don't know. Well, how did you, how did you I deal with know. it? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it was it was shit. Yeah, it was shit. I, I just, I'd like to say I never kind of gave up on the idea of, you know, it getting better. Mm. But I but I did because I literally started applying for jobs. I was like, this entrepreneurship thing is over. Uh, it, it was it was fuck. I don't I don't know. I don't know how how I dealt with it. I just got through it somehow. <laughs> Shit eventually got better. I think, uh, <laughs> That's I've, the least practical advice. I think I've, I've described entrepreneurship ones as like slamming your balls in a car door <laughs> for 10 years yeah. and then wait one time actually blowing your load. <laughs> wow. You're into some weird shit. I'm no, not judging, uh, but... I was fuck. just like, because it, it is that hard it, and it's just heartbreaking as well. Going and just slamming your head against a wall. And every time you think you're about to get a, a win, yeah, something else that's goes. that's exactly what it was like. So, yeah. cool. Yeah. So, you, you pulled yourself out of the slump. Well, I, yeah, I was on this, I was literally on this little miniature animal farm. Remember one of the bulls was called Hannah Bull Lecter? That's, <laughs> uh, that's the only thing I fucking remember. Like it was, and these bulls were like coming out of the fence, like going up to my kids. It was kind of scary. Anyway, totally irrelevant. But anyway, I had this idea of doing a monthly subscription for website support. Um, I'd done... I'd had website support with my previous business, but I'd gotten rid of all of that. And it was a part of the business. It wasn't the whole thing. And it was like, I couldn't, I, like what I wanted was a startup in the sense that I had something that was recurring revenue, something that was scalable, a really simple product, something that was elegantly designed. I wanted the kind of thing, 
that you see in these startup news stories. And you want it in tech as well, obviously, because yeah, 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 um, yeah. Well, I, I only had two weeks, so I had to start this thing. It was going to be some sort of online business. It was too late to build software, and so I literally just thought of like, how can I do some kind of? I never wanted to do a service because I was like, that's not a startup. No, but. I had to because I only had two weeks. So I was like, well, how can I take the best bits of a startup and combine it with a service that I can launch overnight? Um, and I had a few different, again, I had a few different ideas. One was doing uh, conversion rate optimization on websites as a service. There was a couple of other ones. Uh, SEO was another one. Um, but I just chose website support. I had a really good developer in the Philippines that I, I had a couple, I let go of a couple of them, but one that I really didn't want to let go, who I still work with to this, to this day. Oh, that's um, so cool. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to try this website support thing. So I literally just got home, bought a domain, uh, wpliveninja.com, <laughs> set up a website. I did it all that night. Um, went into the forum from the community I mentioned before from the podcast mm -hmm. and just said, does anyone want to pay for this website support thing? Everyone's like, this is a terrible idea because it's unlimited. It was unlimited jobs. Uh, unlimited small jobs. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was like a 30-minute job on your website. We would do it as part of a subscription. And it was only 50 bucks a month. So it was kind of like a no-brainer, like insurance type thing for yeah. websites. Yeah, yeah, um, And in that thread, I had a whole bunch of people say, this is a terrible idea. Everyone's going to abuse this. It's not going to work. Um, and I just didn't have a choice. So I went ahead with it anyway. In the past, I would have kind of, you know, do that permission-seeking thing. And it's like people say, it's not a good idea. I better not do it. But I launched it anyway because I didn't have an option. Yep. And... On the, I think it was the day of launch, I had, no, it was within a week, just within that forum, I had already signed up 400, exactly $476 in monthly recurring revenue. Wow. So it was- Breaking even. It, well, it was, it was the exact same monthly revenue I had with the other one. Yeah. And it had taken me a week instead of a year. And- from that point, and so this it was also a twenty four hour service. So I was like, I'll support your website twenty four hours a day, and it was just me and a website developer in the Philippines who also worked the same hours as me. So I would go to sleep at night with my phone with a live chat app on my phone. Yep. And if it buzzed, I, you know, I'd have to fucking wake up. My wife next to me would be like, Yeah, yeah, yeah no, we're, we're this, this team will support you. Um, and from that first week, you know, it it we grew ten percent a month basically for two years. Wow. And by the end of two years, it was we were turning over a million dollars a year. We had 20 developers and um, it was a really good, solid, profitable service. It changed a little bit in that time. We changed the name to WP Curve. Yep. Because the Ninja thing was a bit weird. And there was another company called Live Ninja, oh. which, you know. Yeah. Bit of a, don't want to get confused. Yeah. I signed up a co-founder in America who, who worked over there. So I didn't have to, you know, monitor the live chat at nighttime. Yep. Um, and then we ended up selling the company to GoDaddy. That was about to hit you. Yeah. So you, how did that all happen? How did that fold out? Or unfold, I should say. Well, so what happened was, it, it's like, like in hindsight, it was a little bit strange because like I, like I get bored easily. Like I want to be working on shit, like you were saying before. Yeah. Like I don't want time off. Yeah. Um, this business was actually very easy to run. It didn't, like I, I wrote a lot of content. I, you know, we employed developers. We got someone else to do the team admin stuff. I actually didn't have a whole lot to do and neither did he. And so we started working on other projects, um, which I was not comfortable with the idea of doing because I always think, okay, you got to work on one thing. Focus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there just wasn't, there wasn't enough work and there wasn't enough accountability. Like I was working in a, co a co-working space on the Gold Coast. He was working at WeWork in San Francisco. Yep. We met <laughs> each other. We didn't meet each other until nine months after, 
after he came on. Like I gave him 50% of this business. What made you do that? That's uh, huge. Yeah, well, it, it was small at the time. Yeah. And I needed someone in the States. I couldn't afford to employ someone. Yeah. Um, and I just figured, you know, we'll build it into something. My yeah. goal was to build a million dollar business. I couldn't even fathom building a business that made a million dollars a year. That was like, that would be epic. It's that first glass ceiling, isn't it? Well, the first was 100K. Like, yeah, like true, true, true. I, I read that, that Think and Go Rich book um, on my honeymoon. This is in... Like I really should remember when I got married. Well, I got divorced <laughs> since, so it probably doesn't matter so much. But yeah, you're um, not going to get your butt my, kicked. My, my ex-wife's <laughs> probably not going to listen to this podcast. Um, I think it was two. Th- let's let's just say it's 2009 anyway. And then I was like, okay, this is the goal I'm going to have is to make a hundred thousand dollars this year in revenue. Like that was that to me seemed almost unattainable. And then it was okay, a seven figure business business. And um, so yeah, we. I just figured if I can make a business that's a million dollar business and own half of it you know that's five times better than i was doing before with a 100k business owning 100 percent of it absolutely so i figured it was worth the risk and um yeah there was ups and downs that resulted from that decision i, I mean i didn't know him yep at the start i knew him online and, and and we didn't we didn't put a lot of effort into getting to know each other either you know other than a few scots so Scott what value friends. did he add to, to apart from just the time answering questions overseas that was it um well he managed <clears throat> he managed the team he had a couple of really big wins. One of them was he had a contact. He had some startup contacts with help help with a few things. He did hiring. He did some team building stuff. He he f- got an opportunity to be on Fox News in America really early on. Awesome. And um, he f- he was like, oh, I've got this opportunity. I'm like, fucking do it. So he Jump flew to, <laughs> I don't know where they, wherever they are, New York or wherever they yep, are. Yep. Flew there, went on TV and started telling our story. Um, and this we got given as a video which we put front and center on the website. Absolutely. And social proof. Yeah. Yeah. And I was learning about all this stuff at the time. So we had like, you know, the big podcasters, like John Lee Dumas, guys like that were using us. Um, and big Fox News video at the top of the website. And that stuff was really valuable. And it's also, I was very much like a behind the scenes type person. And I never saw myself as a, you know, an outgoing entrepreneurial sort of person. So after seven, eight years of doing it by myself, I just thought I need to do this with someone else. Like I need someone with complementary skills. Yeah, hundred percent. And I still feel the same way now. I would never do another business by myself. Mm. Um, I know how you feel, and I've got friends because obviously I've I've had been in other businesses before, exited out. That would turn out very messy because you have the right partners. But I've got other friends who, who um, had very successful businesses, and when you have a team that offset your skill sets, everything scales up. Like if there's four people in the business, it's four times faster the scale up yeah. than it was if it was just you. You know what I mean? There, yeah, th- there are pros and cons for sure, but yeah, I wanted to build something bigger than I knew I could build myself. Yeah, um, and I was burnt out from working by myself. Um, yeah, and, and anyway, so after the after it, uh, we got to about. A million dollars a year. We're doing about 80K a month, which was a massive milestone. Yeah. I was tracking this on our blog every month doing income reports. That number started to plateau and for a whole variety of reasons. And and to be honest, the people who said, you know, this wouldn't work at this price point ultimately were probably right. It probably doesn't work at scale at that price point. But I was well beyond what I thought was, you know, a level of success I would achieve by then. Like yeah. I didn't think it would be... And were you paying yourself more than forty grand? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. We were. We were. I think that the last year, I think 
were paying ourselves, and because it was American dollars, mm. I think I paid myself about 150 grand a year from that business. But then I started writing books and stuff at the time and had a membership, and I think I was getting about 100 grand from that as well. So I was earning more money than I ever, ever knew, thought I would earn. Um, That's amazing. But that was just that one year. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so we we were starting to get a bit sick of working on the business. We were having a few, you know, disagreements about things. We didn't work together. He was looking at other projects. I was looking at other projects. We had an opportunity with uh, an Australian company who are really big in the WordPress space who I probably shouldn't say who they are, but, I mean, if you know WordPress, you probably know this company. They reached out to us. Just say it. Just say it. Fucking mm, I better not. I better not. <laughs> they reached out to us and said, we're, we're interested in buying you guys. And we were like, okay, cool. That sounds interesting. Let's talk about that. I knew, I knew nothing about any of this shit. Mm. We did a call with them. It's quite nice, though, to be hit up to be uh, bought out. Yeah. After all your hard work. Yeah. Well, and, and plus, it, was, it seemed like well, we're kind of getting over it a little bit. And we're plateauing. Maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea to sell. So we went through this process with them, basically telling them everything about the company, which I was fine with because... DD. Well, well I, was, I was giving everything away publicly anyway. There, was, there wasn't really any secrets as such. It's so unusual the way you did it as well. It's, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, this, the, this company pulled out. And so, which I guess if you were cynical, you would think they went through the process so they could kind of learn about our business and then ultimately do something similar themselves, yep. which I don't know if they did or don't know why they did it, but for whatever reason, they decided they didn't want to buy us. Um, Alex had a contact with a guy from GoDaddy in America. Um, and after we went through the, the situation with the company here, we thought, you know, this sucks. Like, we, we wanted to sell at that point because yeah, okay. you get your head around it. You're yep. like, yeah, start yeah. working on different shit. Yeah, you're like, you're already done yeah. mentally. You're like, next project. Yeah. And so we're like, I want you to reach out to that guy at GoDaddy and see what, what's going on with him. So we, we literally reached out to them and said, are you guys interested in talking? They said, yeah, we'll, we'll talk to you. So I was like, all right, I'll fly over to America. And the, the, the other thing that was happening at this time is we'd already started Black Ops as a fun project, right? Cool. And I know, we'll get into that in a minute. Yeah, we yeah, might yeah. have to come back to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, so there's some overlap. So we, we'd started that as a fun project. We'd just, Eddie had just been made redundant. He'd, I'd put money in, he'd put money in. We'd raise money, 100 grand, 150 grand from investors to build a brewery on, in Burley. Yep. And we'd gotten stuck with a situation where we couldn't get a boiler. <laughs> and we couldn't get a consultant to get the boiler working. And we were literally just hanging out there every day, doing nothing, watching our money drain away yep. for months. It was fucked. <laughs> and we were trying to arrange travel and shit around this. I was like, I'm going to America at some point. I don't know when. Um, but then the situation was, as soon as we could fire that boiler up, we could open yep. and we could start making beer. Yep. And it took months. Fuck um, so anyway, I booked this trip in. Because I've got I've got this opportunity with GoDaddy, I'm going to go over. When the plane landed, Eddie texts me, says Ball is the boiler's running, <laughs> yeah, and he's like, "We're opening tomorrow." Holy like, All right, shit! That's fine. That's I get that. Yeah, that's fair. So the day Black Ops opened on the 18th of June, 2015, 2016. Yep, I was in America having the first meeting with GoDaddy to sell my other business, and so it's exciting times. <laughs> It was a big change from a couple of years <laughs> earlier, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, it took six months to sell. Um, we went a lot of back and forth. You know, we... we, we Do they grill you through 
due diligence. Yep, and the guy who started the process ended up losing his job halfway through. Like there was points where Start we were again. certain it was going to fall fall apart. I didn't really know why they wanted to buy us. You know, it was just you know someone at the time decides they want some acquisitions. You know, in their got results. a budget in there, and the amount of money was not you know it's not for GoDaddy. It was fuck all for us. Yeah. It was like, I mean, it was a lot. Yeah, awesome. Um. And yeah, thankfully, and he managed all of that too. So Alex managed all of that. I never went back to America. Literally just one day, it was done. There was money in my bank account. The deal was he would stay in with GoDaddy in a really good job, yep. move to Arizona where they were based, buy a house, hang out there, and yep. I would just be left with 50% of, 51% of the proceeds and, and never see it again. So no earn out, no anything. No. And, and no. Alex was like, yeah, I'll, I want to come across. I love this company, blah, blah, blah. And well, he, he was happy. Yeah, I mean, he was offered a job getting paid, I think, 200 grand a year with GoDaddy. Happy days. He was happy working over there. I, there was there was no amount of money that would make me go to America to no. work because I had kids here and yeah. all of that. Like, that yeah. wasn't an option. Yeah, the brewery to start up. <laughs> I mean, at that point, it was that wasn't even on my mind at yeah, all. Yeah, 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 100%. In terms of that being what I worked on anyway. Um, so, yeah, it, it seemed perfect. Perfect for me to be able to get out and not stay on. Wow. I didn't realize that the um, brewery and uh, the exit out of um, WP Curve was, uh, they overlapped. I thought they were completely separate and you had a, a bit of time off and you're like, yeah, or not time off, bit of a play and then no. went, yeah, let's do this bad boy right now. No, in fact, it would have been better for it to be that way because I would have had money to put into the brewery. But yeah, yeah, yeah. As it was, I didn't. Like we had Eddie's money. Um, I agreed to come up with, I think, 100 grand as well. Because I was paying myself and paying myself pretty well, I just didn't pay tax yep. that year. Um, and when I say that, I did eventually pay the tax. Yeah, I just didn't yeah. pay it, you know, as it arose. Yes. And I just sort of started stockpiling it. And um, You made them chase you for a bit. Made them chase me, yeah. And eventually <laughs> made them earn their money. <laughs> yeah. And that actually what happens is a story there too. So with that money, I eventually scrambled together that 100K over that time, put it into the start of Black Ops. Um, and then just had this tax debt for ages, like for three or four years later, eventually bought a bunch of cryptocurrency, um, Smoked it sold out. it to pay off the ATO. And now I don't have any cryptocurrency, which would be worth way more. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. I'll hit you up on crypto as well, because I, I really wanted to get into that because it's so hot at the moment as well. Um, that is just a ridiculous story. I don't think we've had anyone explain anything like that or have that same journey. Everyone's journey is different anyway. But uh, so you've done that IT business space and you're always chasing that IT tech space and then you're launching a brewery, which is a fast-moving consumer good in the alcohol industry. And then you're literally exit, in, enter, and then we're running Straight away. So tell me how Black Ops started because I, I know a bit about the story. Yep. There's a lot of people who haven't heard your story before. Okay, Where did we'll it all get, come from? We'll get into that. The, 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 oh, okay. Yeah. One thing I'll add to that though is, is when I sold WP Curve and Black Ops opened, I wasn't working for Black Ops at the time. I was doing – I actually wasn't even doing social media. Eddie was doing that. I was yeah, okay. writing the occasional blog post. I was kind of – you know, I was the person who had had a business before, which I suspect is why – Eddie kind of wanted me involved in the idea to start that experience, with. experience, yeah. Um, but at that point, I didn't see Black Ops as something that I would... I wasn't paying myself. I didn't pay myself for years you after that. You just invested in it. I suppose so. I, th yeah. I saw myself as a bit of a silent kind of fun project. And I actually started looking at using that money to buy into another business. And, and I actually had an agreement to buy into another business 
right when Black Ops started taking off and that entrepreneur who I'm still friends with said no, she changed her mind. And right at that same time, Black Ops started taking off. I sort of started thinking, actually, maybe I actually need to start working for Black Ops because this is going to turn into a thing. So it was a really weird set of events. And timing is everything. And a lot of people just like don't understand how perfect, how much timing plays a factor in success as well. Because when you guys launched, it was like peak boutique craft beer. Uh, well, not even that. It was like right in the middle where all the little tiny ones who never actually took off, it was like the hardcore niches. And then you had the big guys starting to get into the mix as well. Mm. You were bang in that perfect timing yeah. to launch. Yeah, well, so so ha- so how Black Ops started was I was, ha- I think, like at the time me and Eddie were getting into craft beer, but it was just drinking craft beer. <laughs> his, his missus was working at Burley Brewing. Um, he really, yeah, I, I was there at startup. Oh, really? Yeah, I was doing all the sales. Um, at Burley Brewing, at, at Burley, so my uncle was the national sales manager, and then I was What's looking at your, your uncle, uh, Brad Howitson. Oh, and go. um, I went and did all the implementation for Coles Liquorland. So I was just smashing out all the Liquorland stores. What year was that? It was like year two. Wow, yeah, that's that's before, really, Cause yeah, because yeah. they they bought the second part of the brewery down there and they just, they were going through the expansion like the year after I, I started with them. Yeah. So I was just casual hitting the, hitting all the stores, building the relationships with all the, the local land managers and trying to get blocking and right. getting in as a core, because as, as, it wasn't a core um, on the planogram. So yeah. I was having to yep. push in on that. Yep. But yeah, it was, that was how I, my, I cut my teeth into the booze industry. Oh wow. That's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, so he, so Eddie's missus was working there doing like marketing type stuff. Eddie was working behind the bar just because it was kind of like this would be fun. They're open every Friday for drinks. I don't know. What, 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 when were you working there till? Were you working there when they're doing the Friday bashes and stuff? At the uh, they just kicked him off because I was mainly on the road. Yeah. I, I would go down there because I was still living in Brisbane. Um, yeah. and I was doing uni at the time. Right. So I'd do like two or three days a week and just smash out. I'd have my core plan and just go to every single shop. Yeah. That's Schmooze. right, I forgot how young you are. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. You're, you're rubbing it in again. <laughs> um, yeah, but they, they started doing the bashes, the Friday bashes, like maybe the after I finished because I ended up getting headhunted across to Cerame Wines. Okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, he started just working behind the bar just because, you know, the opportunity was there. It was fun. He was getting into craft beer. He'd, like, go to bottle shops in Brisbane and kind of bring back beers and we'd try them. And it was just a fun – it was a fun hobby – and one day... And this is all on the Gold Coast, yeah? Well, he worked in Brisbane at the railway still. And I'd, I'd left, you know, nine years earlier. He was still working there. And um, there was n- there was zero craft beer on the Gold Coast other than Burley Brewing. Yep. There was Fortitude Brewing in Mount Tambourine. Um, at that time, we'd met a guy called Govs who worked at Burley Brewing. He'd then left to go to Fortitude Brewing. And one day... Eddie was like, oh, we're going up to Fortitude for some beers. You want to come? We went up there. Govs came and kind of sat with us. And then Eddie was talking about this idea to do this eggnog stout. He's like, oh, this would be a really cool beer to do. And he'd actually entered a competition before this at Four Pines to like like a choose a beer competition. Cool. And he said, you guys should do eggnog stout. And they're like, oh, that's actually a cool idea. Um, but you didn't win. So we're not going to do it. <laughs> but we'll give you like a courtesy prize, which is like a carton of our beer. Yeah, okay. Four Pines. Thanks, mate. Yeah, <laughs> Thanks, guys. Cool. Yeah. And they were 500 mil bottles, uh, which 
proved to be pretty handy when homebrewing. Yeah. So we were there with Govs and Eddie. Eddie's like, I got this idea. And Govs like, oh, I literally, because Govs had worked at Burley Brewing on the big system, but had never homebrewed. Okay. I probably would have met him. You would have met him for sure. Because uh, our first guest on our first podcast, uh, Sam Hussey, he's good friends with Govs. Right. Because I was like, do you know Dan? He's like, uh, no, I know Govs. I've yeah, never yeah. met Dan before. So, because yeah. I think you guys are using um, their new uh, barcode. Um, I think he uses it for something. I'm actually yeah. not sure what we use it for. I know our logo's all over their website, yeah, but I don't know what we I, use I think it's in, in your breweries to like find out a bit more of the story. Yeah. Um, yeah, anyway. So... I'll get back. I'll get back to how you guys met in a second. So yeah, you were all spitballing this eggnog stout. Yeah. So we so we knew Govs anyway from Burley, and we you know like we kind of knew him as a as a guy. Like we went like we just out drinking there, weekend. and yeah, then yeah. you met. That's how you met him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> Govs is a real like like we all sort of knew when we met him. Like he's a real personable kind of guy. Like he's not like a like some brewers not to pigeonhole them, but I suppose that's this has changed a lot. Back then it was kind of like. Some brewers were like a bit standoffish and, you know, they weren't kind of like the guys that are that out chatting to everyone, but Govs was the opposite. Cool. And um, so Eddie had this idea and Govs said, actually, I've just put a couple of kegs together at home in my missus' yoga studio and I was going <laughs> to just fire it up and see if it works to do a homebrew. <laughs> How good. Yeah. And and so we're like, okay, we'll, we'll come back next weekend and do it. And I thought there's no chance we're actually going to do this. Yeah. It's just one of those spitball talks when you're standing around. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll catch up, mate. Yeah, yeah and whatever. plus it was it was you know like Eddie hadn't done a business before, uh, you know, Gus was working for someone else. It wasn't like a serious thing. It was like, yeah, yeah let's do this. I'm like, oh, this is definitely not going to happen. And Eddie randomly texts me a week later and is like, I'm heading up the mountain to make this beer. Do you want to come? Like, Hell I was like, yeah, All right, I'll, I'll come. <laughs> um, and yeah, we, we went up there. We made this eggnog stout on his little keg system in the in the yoga studio. Actually, we ran out of water. I think I saw a photo. Yeah, of us sitting in the center and the thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So, so we ran out of water. We had to take it away to get water. It was a, it was a shit show. Anyway, we made the beer. Between making the beer and bottling the beer, me and Eddie were just messaging each other nonstop on WhatsApp. I wish I still had the messages. I don't. That's I love these stories. Yeah, it was before we put in Slack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We put in Slack really early, which is good, so I can find almost anything. But those early ones are all gone. Um, and it was just stupid shit. It was like, yeah, you know, we're going to launch this brewery. What, what are we going to call it? We're going to call it Three Balls Brewing or Six Balls Brewing <laughs> or some shit. We're sending names back and forth. They were all awful. And then he <laughs> he he said one named Black Ops. And then sent a few more, and then I was like, wait, that's a fucking cool name. Is yeah. That, does no one use that already? No, and it has that tie into Black Ops. Yeah, yeah. it was like a fun thing. I was like, all right, that's literally came, the only which reason. Which came out to pay off later as it, well. It did, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it seems like I'm making this story up. The, the shit that's happened is, is crazy. This is why I love your story <laughs> and why, why I wanted to get you on, because it's so unique as well. And again, it's just about executing mm. and, and going through that whole process. And this whole po- point I'm doing this podcast to actually talk to people who are maybe on the edge of doing something or actually, or, or either inspire them because we don't need more jobs, we need more entrepreneurs to make jobs. Mm. And so, yeah, listening to stories like yourself um, and all the other guests so far is just like, I hope it, it creates that fire in the belly to be like, hey, you can be down at the pub talking to someone and have an idea, but you've got to execute. Like you rocked up. Yeah. You know, you yeah. turned up, you did your stuff, Eddie did his stuff, and, th- and then the result, 
is what you have today. Yeah, and that's, you know, a lot of, it, it is like the ultimate story, like sitting around a pub talking about a business idea. Yeah. And the idea is making beer. Like it's literally the coolest thing you can yeah. possibly do with your life yeah. as an Aussie. <laughs> and, um, and, and everyone's, I'm sure every guy listening to this has had this conversation at one point. A hundred percent. But yeah. yeah, and we did execute on it and, you know, eventually got to now, but. Um, so yeah, you, you uh, were texting back and forward, Black Hop stuck out. Yeah, and I was like, that's, that's cool. Yep. No one's taken that. So like, I, I was like, okay, I'll start, I'll build it up by a website. Now you like me, you just go through and check domain, domain oh, yeah. names. And if it yeah. doesn't exist, you're like, nah, that name's fucked. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it was available and I was like, I'll register it. So within the two week period of not even having the beer, I, I got a domain name. We, we signed up for Instagram. I went into Google and just Googled like military font, downloaded that. Um, Eddie had the Four Pines bottle that he got from the competition, yep. which he drank all the beer. And so we used those to bottle the beer. <laughs> and so we had these bottles of like beer labeled Black Hops Eggnog Stout with a font that, you know, just stolen from Google. Yeah. Um, and we had them in like, and anyway, we, we went to the day of tasting. I think Eddie or Gus was off interstate somewhere and we just rocked up just to taste one beer at Eddie's house. And like we, because Eddie had described this beer to us, we knew what it was supposed to taste like. He was like, okay, it's going to be like a dry stout, cinnamon, nutmeg, vanilla, brandy. It sounded fucking delicious. If, if this beer wasn't all of that, you know, none of this would have worked. And we had no idea. Like I'd had homebrew before and it was fucking disgusting. Yeah. And I've had homebrew I think a lot of people had it's <laughs> fucking disgusting. <laughs> but so he had, had he made this before? Oh, fuck no. This oh, was the first beer yeah, he'd ever well, made on well, the well. system. It was the first homebrew he'd ever done in his life. And Eddie was not a brewer, so he just had literally had this idea. Um, How cool. And we popped the lid. Like, the first thing was, if you open the lid and it doesn't pop, then the beer's flat because it hasn't carbonated, carbonated in the bottle. Yep. Um, so we popped the lid and it popped. So I was like, okay, that's a good start. <laughs> and then we, we tried it and it tasted literally exactly the way Eddie described it. And um, So he tasted it before. No, no. No? No, no. It was sitting in bottles that we sent it to all of our houses independently. Yep. And we all came together. No one had tasted it. And we sat there, you That's know, with cool our partners moment. and popped it and, and took a couple of photos and was like, fuck, I hope this tastes good. <laughs> yeah. It was like a half an hour thing while I think Guz, Guz was on the way to the airport. And um, once we knew it tasted good, we sent a few out to bloggers. Yep. Like, not like, you know, like influencers, but like actual like craft beer bloggers. Yeah. And... It was in a brown paper bag. It had like a Black Ops logo. Like it kind of looked like a legit thing. Yeah, yeah. And they started writing articles saying, you know, this there's a new brewery coming to the Gold Coast, all of this stuff. And we were like, we were kind of only joking. Like we're not actually building how, a brewery. At, at this stage, how big is your brewery? Well, it's Gubbs's uh, keg. <laughs> it was a keg, a single keg. It was three kegs, but a single keg with liquid in it. Mm. I love it. And so then there's like kind of this buzz around it. Um, I started writing content on the blog, like I wrote like how to make an eggnog stout, how to do beer labels, all this shit. And we're like, okay, we need to figure out a way to make a keg that we can actually sell in a bar that's like legal. Yep. So we figured out we, there was a kind of grey area where you could contract brew without a license. Yes. Um, we found a brewery in Mount Tambourine that would brew it for us. Um, put one, me and Eddie chucked in, I think a thousand bucks each. Uh, um, just to pay for the beer. And we knew if we sold it, we'd get that money back. Um, we did a batch for 12 kegs. Again, I was overseas doing another another online marketing thing when this was fermenting. Eddie sent me a text saying... Um, How, what's the time frame between uh, you doing this first batch? Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. 
So that was August was the first homebrew, and then this batch was due to be launched in November 2014. And I'd gone overseas the month before. I'd just broken up with my partner. Uh, well, I'd broken up before, but we'd kind of got, gone our separate houses and all yep, that shit. Yep. Um, I was in the Philippines, got a text from Eddie saying, oh, the beer's stopped fermenting. And I was like, we're fucked. <laughs> I don't, your money. I, I don't know what this means. <laughs> <laughs> we're fucked. Um, anyway, this is actually a thing that happens with beer, which I've yeah. come to learn. It doesn't happen that much to us anymore, but it does It does happen. Um, so they, they stirred it up, put some other stuff in, kicked it off again, and we end up launching it at Hoo-Ha Bar in South Brisbane, which is really close to the current Black Ops Brisbane brewery. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then that was it. But Black Ops started, and then from there, we you know we went on to build the physical breweries and raise money, and yeah, there's, there's a whole lot of other shit that happened after that. Because uh, yeah, I was going through that because I wanted to explore a bit more in the process. So you launched it off, and then I think uh, you, in 2015 you had private investors come in. What was yeah. what was the idea behind that? It just needed capital. We didn't have enough money to build a brewery, so yeah. so we were told. And you recorded this live on your podcast yeah. as well. That, I thought that was a very clever marketing thing you've done. It's still available on the Black Ops website, so go check that out if you want to. Um, but, yeah, I thought it was a very clever idea to market and have that transparency and to build this amazing customer fan base, advocates for your brand. So what was the whole idea behind that? And and I haven't listened to those those yet, but I'm going to. Yeah. But uh, you, you did the private and then later you went your, your equity. So I'm really interested to hear the whole process and thought behind that I've done and, and how much it helped you move the business along. Yeah, well, I've done 10 investment rounds with Black Ops since then. Yeah, wow. Um, and that doesn't include all kinds of other finance that we've done as well. So if you really want to, we can talk about finance for fucking hours as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, I mean, back then it was very simple. Like We were told it would cost a million dollars to build a brewery. Guys was like, if we get on Alibaba, we'll find some cheap tanks in China. We'll do it way cheaper than that. Maybe we can do it for, you know, 400 gra- or 300 grand. So we were like, well, we only had 200. We need Still to raise a shit 100. Ton of cap. Yeah. And, and I knew nothing about raising money and none of us did. The, the, only, the only thing we knew is Govs had two friends who, you know, had more money than the average person, I suppose. They weren't investors. Yeah. But they, the only people we really knew that even could have put money into this was I had one mate who I knew um, – was an inv- was an actual investor. He'd sold his business for a quite a lot of money and mm-hmm. was actively investing. Yep. I'd met him once at this event for this podcast in the Philippines. Um, and then Govs had two mates who, you know, again, weren't investors, but potentially would have enough money to put in for something like this. We went to, went to his first mate, just got a presentation together. Govs ran it just like, this is what we're doing. We want you to invest. The valuation was 800 grand. At the time, um, which we literally made up, I had no <laughs> idea. I had no idea. Um, I, I mean, uh, did you watch the um, Brewdog Equity raise recently? Yeah. 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 Anyway, we'll keep moving on. <laughs> well, I've learned more about valuation since, but yes, you got to keep in mind, like I, you know, we had a guy who, like Eddie and Gus, had never had a business before. I'd only had an online business. None of us had any hospitality experience. There wasn't any really evidence that you could build a brewery and do well. It, you know, this is well before, you know, the Pirate Lifes and Bolters are kind yep. of selling out to see all of that. Yep. It wasn't, I guess, Little Creatures had come before, but that was, was like the only new, one. That was rate. the only one, really. Yeah. yeah. And that was, that was, you know, this was like a new wave of craft beer that we kind of saw coming. But explaining that to investors was difficult. So we went to his mate, 
who kind of had some media stuff and real estate, he said no. Went to his other mate who had some leadership business. We pitched him in his living room. He said no. I messaged my mate overseas. He said yes. Um, just on the basis that he'd met me, he'd seen my style of marketing and thought, yeah, this sounds like a fun thing. Yeah. And then we met another guy who had been traveling around the world, world seeing the craft beer thing, had seen some of the content we were putting out um, and just fell in love with, you know, kind of the idea of starting a brewery. And he was the guy I called up on the podcast and was like, you know, are you going to invest? <laughs> like how much equity are you going to take? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. And, um, and that was getting the money together to open that first brewery. Like we, that, that's what we had to do to get the money together. Awesome. When you were pitching to these guys, like what type of prep did you do? Did you have a full uh, deck that you go out and smash them and, and um, have, have your whole practice? Or are you just like a real person? You're like, this is who our team is. This is the brand we want. This is where we see it going. Yeah. Fucking put your balls on the line, mate. We, we might come through for you type thing. Well, it was both. It was a it was a, an investor deck that was about 10 pages long. I ended up publishing it on the website. It was pretty basic. Um, and it was just Gov's talking to these guys like, this is what we're doing. Um, Do you this have evaluation. No. I mean, we, <laughs> did, we didn't have beer. Like, we had the eggnog stout, but that was all gone at that point. Um, so, is that one beer? That one beer. And how many litres did you make? Well, originally, we made 12 bottles, I think. Oh, my God. Something like that. Yeah, not yeah. much. But then we were doing contract brewing at other breweries after that first batch. Yeah. So, we'd, we were sort of building the brand, but doing our own brewery was what we wanted. Um, anyway, this guy, Simpo, from England decided to invest and so that was enough that was enough to build that brewery to start with when the boiler shit happened we had to go back to sam my mate and be like we need more money like we're we're, we're gonna out. go under before we open yeah 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 um was so that, how was that conversation again i messaged Stressful? him i'm like we need, we need <laughs> <laughs> like we need more like like sam didn't meet the team until i think 2019 he flew over from wherever he was living in the world and like worked behind the bar for a week oh my god like he's years a later cool dude. he's a le he's fucking legend yeah, yeah 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 um and yeah and then once we'd opened that brewery it was very small like our tap room was 12 square meters we'd only have like 10 people in there it was just eddie and gov's working um i wasn't working at all i was in an office upstairs trying to start all these other weird online businesses um yeah and eventually a few key things happened, but, you know, it was slow growth over time and then a few key moments that really kicked the growth into, you know, what it is today, which is you know, much bigger than anything I ever thought it would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Across three venues now. Uh, four. Four. Yeah. We'll get, that's a special <laughs> one, though. Yeah. Um, so, raise that cap initially and then how long between um you going across into the the new um the new well you had number one and then you started number two yep. what was the whole what was the crossover between that and then was a cap raise in between there as well yeah there was there was any time we did anything we needed to raise money because we couldn't get any money from banks so we did a combination of you know reward-based crowdfunding equity crowdfunding private investment rounds eventually the banks came to the table gave us money the first loan we got from a bank was the day we opened black ops 2 which was a project we knew would cost about three million dollars and we started with zero and um we just again we just went for it assuming we would get the money eventually and we literally got the money the day we opened um but in that meantime we were expanding around hq and we realized we we're going to run out of room there so we need to build a bigger brewery and 
found this massive warehouse up the north end. And because how big? I didn't. I've actually never been to your original one. How many squares is that? Uh, two hundred, I think. Yeah, like so it's, it's still pretty big. That's about as big as up here. We're about two hundred squares. Two hundred for the whole brewery and the tap room. Yeah, and the wow. warehouse. Yeah, yeah. And Black Ops Two is probably about. I actually don't know exactly how much shed, but probably four thousand. Yeah, yeah it, it's much large, bigger. and you you tank. You get a lot of fucking equipment in there as well. Yeah, it's, it's much bigger. It's huge. Yeah, it's a very very big upgrade. Yeah, and so is that that's where the core of the operation is now. Yeah, like we've 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 expanded there three or four times since, and we're currently undergoing a massive packaging expansion there as well. That's going to cost more than the entire brewery cost us originally. It's fucking that's insane. never it's never ending. Wow. Yeah. 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 Well, just again, just all that reinvestment into to get out and get your economies of scale and your, yeah. your cogs down, and then so you can go further and further yeah and we and we lost money every year up until last year yeah wow yeah D- but again it's just growth yeah and, and just you know like we always thought like eventually when we put beer into cans i wanted i wanted people to be able to walk into the bottle shop and see our product you know and and not have to be paying 20 dollars more for that than something else otherwise it becomes like this elite premium thing Correct. that you're never really going to be able to grow so i wanted it to be competitive but there was no way we could make it long-term at our scale for that price. But we knew that we would be able to make it long-term for that price if we had more scale. Yes. So we took a hit for a number of years to get to that scale and it was fucking scary. Like there was some, a lot of moments in there. 2019, that year was just like so scary. Like I thought we were just going to lose everything, but eventually we Why? got the scale what, up. What was happening that made it scary? Well, like, like we built Black Ops 2. It was going to cost us $3 million. We did it starting with a starting budget of zero. So I had to figure out how to raise $3 million. We did um, equity crowdfunding. I did a private investment round. I maxed out all of our investors. Yep. Um, eventually the bank gave us a loan on the day we opened. Um, and then because of the delays opening, we opened in February, which is every year the worst year. <laughs> the worst year. month. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, the worst month. And... We'd gone from a site that we were, you know, we were going to grow out of eventually, but we hadn't quite grown out of it yet. To a giant. To a 10 times bigger site. Yeah. And you crossed two venues. Yeah. Yeah. And and we'd done it in a month. It was the worst month of the year. So, and we were looking at all of winter. It was like Game of Thrones shit. Like winter is coming. <laughs> um, and so we went from basically December 2018, finally making money again at HQ to... And, and this is a business that doesn't have money in the bank for like contingency. Like we, yeah. we don't have money lying around. It's all on. It's all on the line. Yeah, it's yeah. month by month. Um, and then February 2019, we opened Black Ops 2, just got the money from the bank to do it. And that month we lost $150,000 in one month. And, you know, we were sort of like, if you look at our revenue and profit chart, you know, it goes down in the opposite direction. It was like, okay, and we've got no money in the bank. Like, I don't know how we're going to get through winter. Um, and it was just, but if we didn't take that jump at that time, we would have missed a whole year of growth. And there was a lot of shit that happened in the craft beer market in that year. Yep. Um, so we really had to kind of go for it. And I think because we went for such an ambitious project you know our investors and people were brought along quite easily along with us and even the bank mm. like the bank what was the pitch what was the long term that you that well it, like it, it was just you know our story and it was we want to build an actual national craft beer brand that's independent we're making our own beer yep um we've got a re- really good momentum really good story and we need to make more of it we've got a really good site everything looked good but the hard part of it was 
we needed to sell way more beer and we couldn't pay for more. Well, we never paid for marketing anyway. We couldn't afford more reps. So it was, we were going to have to figure out a way to sell two, three, four times as much beer to make this site worthwhile. How'd um, you do it? Ah, uh, <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> well, eventually we figured out a, a way to kind of, you know, build the brand and all the rest of it. But during that six months from February to kind of the end of summer, it was just this void of just losing money. Yeah. Um, was, was, was sales growing still? Oh, no. Okay. No, no, no. Why was it dropping? Because it's winter. And, it, you know, yeah, and, true. It's, yeah, yeah. and it's um, going from one site to another. I mean, eventually they were. So fe- February, it, it was, it's a shorter month. It's always a disaster. It's a Christmas hangover. Yep. You don't grow in February. Um, you know, March was slightly better. April was slightly better. Started coming good through winter. And then summer, it really Smacked exploded. It, and yeah. we had, you know, particular products come out that went really well. By the end of 2019, um, you know, we were back to just breaking even again. Yep. Um, and, you know, it was lucky because we had this crazy story of taking this leap. Investors were happy to come on the jump with us because they invested on the basis that we would make this work, but they were getting pretty good value as well. Yeah. And also, to the bank's credit, they lent us money, a business that wasn't making money, you know, that had this, and it was NAB at the time. Yep. Yeah, um, they had the fundam- fundamentals though. Did we? I don't know. We had a good brand, but we well, were losing they money. Are, they obviously bought into the story, maybe. They bought <laughs> absolutely, yeah. They bought into the story, which which I never thought a bank would ever do. Like I'd never ever been able to get money from a bank. Yeah. Um, but they, but NAB put money in. You know, it was for equipment, so it was not like you know they could come in and steal the equipment. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we were buying a million and a half dollars worth of equipment, yeah. so they weren't taking a huge risk. No. But they're not in the business business of putting money into businesses that go broke and they have to go in and take their equipment like yep. that and it's do a specialized that. piece of equipment as well like yes. not there's not many companies go around and go oh we need a million dollars worth of brewery equipment that was a big hurdle yeah 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 and that's changing too um but yeah and uh, you know by the end of 2019 we had our shit together coming into covid we're really hitting our stride like that march was going to be the first really solid kind of profitable month march 2020 was when we had uh, products were going really well. We, we'd gotten through February. That's when we'd back to profitable, and that's when <laughs> COVID hit. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's been crazy timing, but but twenty twenty ended up t- turning out to be a really good year for us. Yeah, yeah. I was going to lead into that um, because for most alcohol in industries, it was a very good year, uh, or are those couple of months in particular, because everyone was locked down in Queensland. Yeah, I in, mean, in Queensland, people struggle. Yeah. It, d- it depends on the makeup of your business. Yeah, 100%. So what did you guys, did you guys adapt much during that um, COVID period to, to get through? We did. Um, you know, we we did so much stuff. Like I like one weekend I built a mobile app to use for people to get beer delivered to their house called Supply Drop. Like Amazing. I built it myself with some frameworks with my mate who I was messaging back and forth for, for advice. He helped me build it. We had it live within a week. We repositioned the sales rep so they could deliver the beer around Brisbane and Gold Coast. It was live in the App Store in two weeks. Wow. Um, and the, like we went from, I think we were doing 20 grand a month in this sort of online to 90 grand a month a month later. Crazy. Um, and, and that's all done through your producer's license as well because you're allowed to ship yeah. your own thing. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. a bit of a grey area. It's, it's, it is, yeah. Especially in Queensland. Like, yeah. It's meh. Yeah, but no one was going to stop you during COVID. No. So yeah. you're hustling. You got to do what you got to do. And the artisanal license now makes it very clear you are allowed to yeah, do that. That brand new piece of legislation went through is yeah. good. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we we did that, but like in hindsight, 
we did a whole bunch of stuff, to be honest. We did, like, brew at home. We released all our recipes. We did homebrew kits. We piloted, like, a kegerator oh, system for people's what's houses. What's the whole point behind that? Because are you worried about your competition coming in and stealing all your stuff? I mean, it's the same as all of it, really. It's, it's you know, like, you can release all of your information with the mindset that everyone's going to steal it. Or you can just do it with the mindset that, in the end... Everyone's back too yourself. fucking lazy. <laughs> Not that. It's just you back yourself to make a good product and have a good brand. You know, like like exactly. I'm sure we could get our hands on Stone and Wood Pacific Ale recipe. It doesn't mean you can build Stone and Wood. No, it's, absolutely not. It's way more complicated than that. And I learned that over many years of people copying WP Curve and it not working. It's yeah. way more complicated than a recipe. I agree with you. The amount of people who are like, I'm not telling you my idea. And I, now, if I've got an idea, I'm telling everyone about it. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's my validation. Well, so I like, don't tell anyone about my ideas. I I it, I mean, but I, just I always go do just it. build it. Yeah, I just go do it. Just go do it. No, no one's advice on your idea is ever going to be useful. No, is, that's no, my starting no, no. point. Exactly. You you go into something and you're like you know what you should you should market it this way. And you're like, bro, you're an engineer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't like taking people's advice. Sometimes it's problematic, but I, I just generally don't like taking advice. From I just people. find it interesting, but I still go do it because nothing has better results than actual primary research and execution, which is what what you have done all throughout your career as well. Yeah, and, and that's what that really live feedback. You know? Yes, and and sometimes people don't think of that, and that's what ended up. I ended up writing a book called The Seven Day Startup, and wrote a bunch of other books as well, and that yeah. all came from this one moment where i was in that forum with the wordpress idea and i I had a realization that i can just put up a paypal button with a price and ask people to pay and i will know straight away whether or not this is a good idea yeah um i don't have to go and like even if everyone in the forum tells me it's a bad idea it's so easy for me to find out if it is actually a good idea by working out if someone will pay for it correct i'd spent a year on an idea that everyone told me was a good idea that ultimately no one wanted to pay for yeah so the big lesson for me was like, you know, if it is something you can build easily, then you're way better building it. I mean, as you kind of go through your journeys and entrepreneur into different projects, like we get into projects now where you can't, you can't validate this shit. Like, you know, you're spending, we couldn't validate Black Ops 2. We had to spend $3 million to build that thing. And we had no idea if we we're going to The market to, decides ultimately yeah. whether it's good or bad yeah. and, and if it has value. Yeah. And you decide the risk you're kind of comfortable with too and- um, I've always been a risk taker, but that that level of risk was way beyond anything I was anyone was comfortable with. It um, was huge. Yeah, that's, and and that's and big. even now I like like the whole time I've kind of put everything on the line. I could have lost anything at any point, but I think now, you know, I probably wouldn't do that again. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. In hindsight, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm happy I did it, everything at the time, but now you know you got more shit to protect as you get older and. Absolutely. All that stuff. And yeah, your risk profile probably goes down a little bit. Um, you, you do have a massive uh, customer base and, and like loyal customer base, even through the point where you had your equity crowdfund. Um, and I see that you do like things every single year where you actually get them together as a group to participate in something with the brewery. Like what was the whole idea around that? Because essentially it's just keeping your investors happy yeah. and, and knowing what's happening on the ground floor. Um, yeah, like... What was the whole, where did that idea come up with? Because I hadn't seen that before. I thought that was a really amazing idea. Well, the equity crowdfunding thing was something. So we were very early. We were the first brewery to launch with the crowdfunding campaign. Um, that was just like, you know, invest and get a carton of beer. Yeah. But I'd always, I've been following the likes of BrewDog you mentioned before. Yep. Um, yep. You know, watch, watch their TV show. I, I'd learned about this equity crowdfunding thing. I was waiting for it to become a thing in Australia. Yeah. I'd become friends with the guys, um, at a company called Birchall, mm-hmm. who 
had a company previously called Possible, which was the company we used for the reward campaign. So these guys were building a company to do equity crowdfunding before it was legal. And I was meeting with them, you know, regularly being like, when's this going to be a thing? Because like, re we really want to do this. Yep. Because it suited this kind of transparent marketing thing that I was doing. I just thought it would be perfect for us, you know? It's like 100%, yeah. It's, it's a really good fit for a brand that's like a community-driven, transparent thing. Um, and so we were one of the first to do that as well because I was waiting around. Like, I was literally... I was doing talks at events on the topic of equity crowdfunding before you could even do equity crowdfunding because people were talking about it, but it wasn't legal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And BrewDog were... Um, doing it overseas they've since done it here but that they they have a di slightly different approach different legislation um but it wasn't really a thing here it's it's actually become a, you know a significant thing in craft beer which i thought it would because it's a really perfect fit everyone wants to own a share in a brewery correct um there's definitely pros and cons you know there's been some there's been at least one company that i can think of that did crowdfunding in australia Actually, there's, there's been a couple actually that have done in New Zealand and Australia that haven't worked out very well. Yep. Um, but you could say that about any person who ever invested in anything. There's lots of things that don't do well. Yeah. But overall, I think it's a really good thing and I wanted to be kind of the poster people for that because I thought, you know, we struggled so much to get money together for the brewery. We, we didn't know anything about investors. Like, I still don't really know any investors. Like, I just know people who put money into Black Ops. I yeah. don't hang out with investors. Yeah. I don't know where you find them. Yeah. Well, it's, um, not, it's that whole different mentality, uh, like, where you look at the tech sphere, it's, like, all this big VC money. And it's, like, Shark Tank and yeah, shit like that. Yeah, thrown around. Because I know you had a, um, a chat with, um, st uh, what's his name? The Shark Tank guy? Yeah. Steve Baxter. Steve Baxter, yeah. yeah. And, and, like, it's big tech money getting thrown around. Yeah. But in all the fast-moving consumer goods, they're like, no. Nah. Yeah, he, it's, wasn't, it's, he wasn't keen. No, <laughs> no, it's just, like, yeah, it's real, though. You can touch it, like... People were consuming this, you got to make another one. Nah. Yeah. I thought that conversation was a bit shit too, actually. So afterward, I was kind of like, I'm kind of glad he doesn't want to invest because it was a bit of a weird conversation. Yeah, but, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, craft beer is not in that world at all. No. And there's so many dudes and girls, you know, starting breweries that just don't, they're not in that space. And getting money together is just, it's fucking so hard and confusing. So the equity crowdfunding thing, I thought would be perfect. Yeah. And um, it's turned out to be really useful. Because you did two companies. rounds of that, didn't you? Did the first one, or was that the prize one? Yeah, we did the reward one and then equity one. I, I think we'll do another one. Okay. I, I like the idea. Um, and the other one, you, I think you did half, four hundred or something, didn't you? We did four hundred. Yeah, yeah. four hundred. Yeah, and we and we did it. I think we closed it in like six days or something. Yeah, it was really, it was huge. really quick. Yeah. And so, from the business point of view, what did that capital mean for you? Like, what? Well, that that happened right at the time we opened BH two. Yeah, wow. So, like, we literally <laughs> needed that money. <laughs> yeah. That is insane. Yeah. And so, and we'd put it all on the line. Like, we, I remember we were sitting in Brizzy, I think it was, and, like, looking at my phone and Eddie and Govs were like, you know, we just put this thing up. And I was like, fuck, it's up to, like, 80, 90 grand. This is after, like, a day or something. And we are like, oh, shit, maybe we'll actually be able to do this. Did you have a, a, a lower, did you put a lower barrier so you get it? Yeah, we hit that in, in a couple of hours, I think. What was it? or 50 or might have been 100 i can't yeah. remember yeah but that but we put the upper limit at a point where i really wanted to hit that as quickly as possible whereas a lot like the brewdog one for example that that is like a really high number that kind of happens over a long period of time yes that to me is not that isn't the way i wanted to do crowdfunding the way i wanted to do it was like get in otherwise you're going to miss out yep 100 um, which is what it should be i think so yeah uh, yeah i think so 
Um, I'm pretty sure the Brudo one got extended like another it did. 60 days. Yes, yeah. <laughs> they're, 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 you know, what they do is really interesting and very much inspiration to what we have Absolutely, done. So yeah. I've never say anything bad about them. No, and, no. and we've actually met, one of the guys came to the brewery. It was really cool. Eventually, and met him, Martin, which That's was awesome. cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, what, what they're doing is very different to what we're doing. Yeah. Um, and then during COVID as well, you guys acquired... Our, a little brewery that oh, was on right. our street. Yeah, <laughs> BH3. What, uh, what was the whole thought process behind that? Um, yeah, so... I don't know one of these. You like it? Yeah. Nice. It's really good. Good. Might um, go to the bathroom soon, though. Sneak off. <laughs> oh, so I can just keep the podcast running when you go to the bathroom? Yeah, mate. Has that happened before? Absolutely. It's multiple times. Oh, oh okay. Okay, so now, now you can't give me shit for oh spilling coffee God. on your table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Just got beer everywhere. <laughs> Uh, oh well. <laughs> yeah. Um, add, add to the bar. These oh. these um railway sleepers have been through some shit. They can oh, bro. they know. can handle a bit of beer. When we bought we bought this during COVID as well, and um I found this. It was on. It was actually down the Gold Coast as well, and uh, it was three thousand dollars down to four hundred dollars. Oh, that's a, I like I and like I went, a good bargain. I'm like I'm coming down to buy it. <laughs> Tell me the story behind it. it. Looks really cool. And he's like, Yep. So these were. Recycled railway pillars from Indonesia. They're like 120 years old. Holy shit. Yeah. And I was like, that sounds perfect. And then I drilled all these holes in it because it was like, it was going to be my podcast table. And during the time, because we pivoted as well um, during COVID and we were growing ridiculously already. Yeah. And so we went from our old factory to this factory at the moment. And the only, we moved all the stock across. And this was the only desk we had in here, and this was our war room table. So the <laughs> entire part, uh, the entire top level of this uh, floor was empty. We had one desk. We had ten people around yeah. the whole entire desk, and it was our war room table. And we'd go downstairs, crush out the day of, of manufacturing, and would come back up, and I'm just working away on this. So it's. Did you think that you were fucked during that time as well, or um, were you good no, the whole time? No, I I would consider myself a wartime general, and <laughs> when I, I knew something was going to da- go down, so I was uh, we were. Across December, January, because I was just working, I did not watch any news at all. Right. So I had no idea what was happening. Uh, but the market was slowing down dramatically. And so... Do you I sell all this stuff locally or...? Online, across Australia and yeah. into Europe as well. We got right. distributors across Europe and we yeah. had a small uh, distro in the US. And um, we had an issue with our biggest uh, EU distro. And I went, you know what? Like, like we were low on cash flow. I think I had like two gram of bank account at mm. the time. And I was like, uh, I'll be there tomorrow. And they're like, what? Put my flight. I think it was like the night at midnight or one o'clock in the morning. I was on a plane at three o'clock that afternoon. Flying to Amsterdam. I got into Abu Dhabi and it was uh, pretty much everyone in face masks except for me. And I because ran, of COVID? Because of COVID. When was this? January. This was uh, end of February. End of February, oh yeah, by that time. And yeah. I called my girlfriend, she's a doctor, and I was like, uh, what is everyone... Hey Nick, just go through that door. Use that door. Uh, don't use it. Go to the website. Yeah. Uh, go up, go find Michael. Yeah. Go find Michael. He's not here. <laughs> I'll give you his number. Call Michael. Uh, it's what happens when we're in a live business, eh? He's just left. He's <laughs> like, fuck you. 
our sales guy, Nick. Hold on, I'll just gotta send him the number. Um, anyway, we, we were coming back through um, uh, Abu Dhabi, and I I called Sarah. and I was like, Sarah, what the fuck's going on? Everyone's got a face mask on, and she is like, uh, Yeah, it's called COVID. Is everyone else wearing a mask? And I went, Yep, mm. everyone else is wearing a mask. Uh, I, you'll be fine. So I hopped on, went to Amsterdam, arrived in Amsterdam. I was in Amsterdam for 48 hours. So I just literally sat down, um, did a, a training session for the day, got our uh, disrupt spec, jumped on a plane and went back to Abu Dhabi. And by this stage, so that was 72 hours later, they're in full hazmat suits. Shit. And I'm going through Abu Dhabi airport like, oh my fucking God, I'm going to die here. Were they doing, doing like quarantine in Australia or anything? No, or? no, no, no. So I got back. 48 hours before full lockdown of the whole country. Oh, my God. And wow. I, I got back home and I'm like, shit, this is really fucked. That's crazy. So we end up, um, we had a, a strategy to try and push into a lot of regional areas because no one was doing that. And uh, then Sarah got home because she was working in ED at the moment at the time. And she was like, hospital's going to run out of, jam- uh, out, of, uh, jam- out of hand sanitizer on Thursday. And yeah. I'm like... How the fuck can that happen? Yeah. And so on Friday night, uh, came up with the formula, came up with the concept of our germ killer, full label, and on Monday we went to sale. And we had all the equipment. Um, we, were, we were trying to source enough ethanol. Right, because um, you've got a still here. Yeah, so we, d- we didn't have that big still. We right. had uh, I, I acquired a still over the next couple of weeks uh, as backup, launched the Bitter Chapter Stilling Co. Uh, in that time. Wow. Um, because we... I think we did like 16,000 bottles of our germ killer pre-sale online in two weeks. So you pre-sold it? Pre-sold it. Wow. The only thing we are waiting on was the labels. Jesus. And then we punched out everything. <laughs> we ran out uh, on that last day. So we had 3,000 bottles left. The Queensland government hit us up and we go, hey, you're the only people in Australia who've got yeah. hand sanitizer. Can we buy it all off you? I said, no, we've sold this much to our customers. We're not jipping our customers. We've got three and a half thousand bottles. We've got another uh, ten and a half thousand on their way, like uh, actual vessels. Yeah, they were hard to get. Yeah, at the time, so yeah. we had our supply. It was already on the way. So we had a, a three week wait for that, but we supplied them, um, and then we were the only people to create hand sanitizer or our germ killer uh, that was clinical, non clinical, and supplied all of the Queensland health hospitals um, for like two months until China came back on board and yeah, the market right. got flooded. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. at that stage, we didn't care. And I invested all that into the distillery for yeah. to, for launch. So, yeah, it was just a crazy time. And I was the same. We just, like, did not know what was going to happen. Mm. It was, yeah, it was the sanitizer thing was crazy. My mates got a distillery down the coast and they went through all that as well. Um, I think the yeah. only difference was that people started drinking hand sanitizer because... That's people, not a good idea. No, no, no. By accident because they were uh, misbottling it. See, we, yeah. we did men's grooming products. We weren't uh, a distillery as such because right. we didn't have our final product to the market. Yeah. So we just used, made sure we had all the licensing to, to do it correctly. Yeah, I saw someone did like um, sanitizer in a can and I was like, this is not a good idea. Uh, Someone's going to drink that Well, shit. even another distillery, which I won't say, uh, they were doing those drinking water bottles and you can't do it in any packaging. That's not a good idea. No, no. that could be mis- uh, Mistaken for a drinking vessel. Yeah, this that is was why we need a little bit of regulation. Correct, 100%. Yeah. But it, w- it was just such a crazy time. How did you guys react 
through it because well we we were in hindsight very lucky like we had that one month where we did all the online stuff i um i got all the sales re- like the people that were out of work you know in our company yes were predominantly the sales reps i mean like if if we had to close down if bars never re- fuck there was a lot going on oh, but like if if bars huge. didn't reopen and we didn't have bottle shop sales or direct sales we would 100% be out of business by now yeah. um we had a lot of things that we we're very lucky with one was we we were selling a lot into bottle shops and bottle shops went nuts. Yes. So that saved us. It was really. that rush. Yeah, I'd like to claim my app that I built on the weekend saved us, but it wasn't really. What saved us was independent bottle shops went the up. alcoholic by, Australian public. Well, no, I mean, to be honest, it was more you couldn't drink in the pub, so it transferred to getting takeaway, um, which meant we had a bunch of kegs out there, but we, we, we hadn't done that well selling kegs. They're really hard to sell. Mm. And we, our business had you know, against my will really become more about package sales than keg sales, which I was always like, we need to sell more kegs, need to sell more kegs, but package was just way easier to sell. Why? Because of cost of manufacturing a keg versus um, that? Because I'm all about the packaging and I'll, mm. I'll hit you up about why you went can versus bottle in a second, but why was your push towards keg versus? Um, well, our, I never knew our numbers well enough to really know for sure, but I'd had conversations with people like, you know, the founders of Stone and Wood and places like that who were very adamant around don't go too far into packaging because you're dealing with the majors, they're really problematic, they have long terms, um, low margins in packaging, all that stuff. So we were always like, okay, we want high keg. I mean, like when I say high, I was happy with 50-50 or 60-40. Um, by the end of COVID, we were like 80-20 or 85-15 type thing. Like we were just selling shitloads of package. And in hindsight, there are a lot of benefits to selling package as well, which I didn't, you know, which we didn't, we're just learning as we go. Branding. Branding, you know, like the selling kegs is very hard. It's expensive to have reps on the road. Yep. Most of our pack gets sold into Dan Murphy's, um, Liquor cool. Land, all of those places, independent bottle shops. We do have retail sales reps, but... To make those big deals, we've only got one guy. Yeah. Um, and during COVID, uh, Endeavour, who was Dan Murphy's and yep. BWS, brought their invoice terms in. Yep. Um, that helped Changed us enormously. Yeah. Yeah. So there was there was a lot of good, like basically we were just selling more beer without spending any more money on marketing yeah. or, or sales or anything. And that cash flow gap was reduced. Yeah. So we had we were on track in March to be comfortably profitable. We ended up losing. I think 10 or 20 grand, March 2020. And we've been profitable every single month since. Yeah, wow. And we didn't put off any staff. Like we had casuals who didn't get as many chefs, but I was like constantly in a Slack channel with those guys being like, you know, do you have enough work this week? What are you doing with government stuff? Are you yep. getting job seeker or whatever? If not, we'll give you shifts elsewhere in the office or whatever. Yep. Sales reps got put on the road to deliver for su- the supply drop app. Yep. Once bars reopened, they came back in, went back into sales. Um. You know, I, I, me, me, I, I got stopped paying myself, which is a small amount, but I was able to do that because of, I took on some of those other government things where you could block your mortgage and yep. that sort of shit. Yep, 100%. That helped, a, you know, a tiny little bit. Um, but in the end, we didn't have to cut anyone's wage back, didn't have to get rid of anyone. And once it took off again, it, it really took off. Like, like some so of our products really took off. Yeah. And why yeah. do you think that was? Good timing. Just exposure during that period and get to punch it into the stores and yeah like a lot of support from so bws did a massive like local campaign yes. which we didn't have to pay a cent for yeah um we got extra distribution 
So the way the distribution in the majors works is like you do a lot of work leading up to it and then they'll make one decision, you know, every six months about what gets ranged. Correct. And if you've got a product that gets ranged, it's a fucking game changer. Like it's, you know, like we like the start of the start of twenty twenty, our six percent hazy, which is called GOAT, yep. was not even a core range beer. By the end of twenty twenty, it was our number one selling beer by a mile. Really? Yeah. From the name or uh, uh, just just everything, everything. you know the, ga- the the name the brand was good. Dan Murphy's took it on um, as part of their range review. Yep, hazy IPAs took off. Yep, um, we had some good results in you know competitions and whatnot for it. Some good promotion. Yep, um, we pushed it for the hottest one hundred because it started taking off and got some good marketing. You know, to the start of this year for it, and just really like we we'd seen this haze thing coming and we were working on it, but. It just we really backed that beer to be our beer. Yeah, okay. And um that can't just change change the game. Yeah. And now we've got this East Coast, which is a smaller version, which you know, we're hoping kind of does the same thing. It's a bloody delicious beer. Um so speaking about uh BR and marketing, you got involved with by your name, by default, Black Hops with Call of Duty. Black, yeah, with Activision, yeah. Yeah, yeah. how did that come about? So that is just like a marketing person's dream or a branding dream. Yeah, again, I would like to say it was my genius, but it really <laughs> wasn't. It was just pure fluke luck and timing. Um, but also, like you said before, executing, you know, we said yes to it. Um, we were in China. How big were you at the time? Oh, we didn't even have a brewery. <laughs> so we were we were in China inspecting tanks for the brewery. Oh, my God. And we had a conference call because we got an email. Like, Eddie got the email. I didn't even have a Black Ops email at the time. Like, Eddie used to – we had beer at Black Ops, and that was the only email we had. Eddie got this email saying, um, you know, we're doing this Call of Duty launch. Do you guys want to brew a beer for it or do you want to ch- talk about it? He's like, it's probably spam or they're going to sue us. Um, and he showed me the email, and I was like, oh – it's from this MEC place, which is an agency that are, that is a big agency. I had a look at their website. Um, there was there was a error in the email that they sent us. They said they were launching Black Ops Two, the game, Black Black Ops Two. Yeah, yeah. but it was actually Black <laughs> Ops Three, or maybe it's Three and Four. I don't know. I'm not I'm not uh, you know that much of a gamer compared to the other guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so we kind of looked at it and it's like it's not even the right game in the email. So it's probably not. Because Eddie was into game, he's like, I've already, this game's already out. Like, yeah, I've yeah. played this, like, for years. Um, Some marketing agency trying to... <laughs> yeah, but then I was like, I mean, they've got a number on there. Why don't, why don't we give them a call? So, Gus gave them a call, and they're like, yeah, no, no, this is, like, actually a thing. We're, we were talking about it in the office, and some guys had heard about this Black Hops company from Queensland making this beer. Um, you know, obviously, because of the content and whatever, with social media and stuff we've been doing. We had this conference call in China. Like, when they called us, we were... We were like, at that point, this is a month or two after, we st- we still thought it could be bullshit. Like, we weren't 100% yeah. sure. Yeah. Now, they're like, okay, like, we're actually going to do this. Are you guys keen to do it? And God's like, yeah, we can do it. Um, And we we're like, like, how? Like, we didn't even have a brewery. How are we going to put beer into bottles and do all the stuff required to do that? So, we committed to it. Um, So, what was the deal? Like, were they paying you to do this? Or Yeah, we, well, no. Were you well, just, was there a... You got to do it, and then can sell it. But you can use our license on the on the cans, or I can't. So we were selling it, but we could only sell it online. Um, 
they wanted a lot of it to give away. So they gave, gave it away to like influencers. Like at the time it was like Guy Sebastian and people like that. Like <laughs> drinking our beer. And we made, we, we convinced them to make a black pale ale. Yeah. And the idea was like, it would be this like sort of covert beer where the bottle is black. The liquid is black, but because you're drinking out of the bottle, you can't really see the liquid. It just tastes like a pale ale, but it's actually a dark black beer. Yeah, which okay. Was really cool. cool concept. But, yeah. but it's actually like a very crafty sort of beer, like yep. a black pale ale. I, I hadn't even drunk a black pale ale before that. Yeah. Um, so we didn't like compromise and make, you know, like a shitty lager, you know, just for marketing purposes. It was a legitimately good craft beer. Um, and yeah, we, we found a brewery to contract it out who were brew pack in Sydney, went down there, they filmed the whole thing. You know, they end up launching it. We were on like Channel 9 News and shit like that. And um, Amazing. It was all, it, like we didn't make any money from it, but it was just massive Good free exposure. marketing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we used that, again, social proof. The first thing on the crowdfunding video that we used to launch the brewery was, you know, this is our story with Call of Duty. Yep. And we just brewed this Call of Duty beer. We've got all this momentum. Yeah. Got some got an email list going. <coughs> use that for the crowdfunding. Use that to open the brewery and on to the next thing. Yeah, wow. Nuts. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> um and then we so we're here today. Uh oh, so you didn't explain how you uh got Black Ops three down the road. Oh yeah. Well So we're in COVID. <laughs> yeah. So we've got we shared an investor. So we had an, one of our investors, Sean, who's also our accountant was also an investor in Semi-Pro. I think they were started by three people. One of them dropped out and Sean came in and sort of bought him out. Mm. And I was talking to him on and off. I talked to him every month. He does like a virtual CFO type thing. And he gives me a report on you know, more detail than you get out of zero. Yes. Like a whole bunch of stuff, yep. which is actually really, really useful. Um, and I was talking to him about Semi-Pro. I always asked him like, you know, how those guys going, what, what's happening with them? Because I knew he was an investor in them as well. Yep. And then... One time when I asked him, he was like, oh, you know what, they're, they're sort of thinking of potentially selling. Um, and I was like, all right, well, I mean, we hadn't even considered buying anything before, but we were looking at Brisbane. Well, I'm from Brisbane. Yep. And also we were looking at doing this barrel age beer project and thinking potentially doing it in Brisbane, which is a more crafty sort of market. Um, so we're thinking about Brisbane, but we didn't really have plans. To, we definitely didn't have plans to kind of come up here and build a whole new brewery from scratch or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, that, yeah. that would have been too much. Um, so I was like, oh, we'll keep the conversation open. You know, if you're talking to them again, potentially it's an option. It's not something we're thinking about doing. But if it, if it's, you know, if the price is right. And the, I, I knew the brewery. We, we knew Mick. Yep. I, knew, I love the area. Like yeah, you yeah, said before. Yeah, it's such a good area. It's an awesome area. Yeah. And it very much reminds me of the original Black Ops location. Yeah. Um, it's like a kind of industrial area where there shouldn't be an industrial area yeah it's old, old the old world industrial <laughs> yeah. area yeah 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 so i love the location um i thought we with our brand we could do really well there and um eventually had the conversation with them worked out how much they wanted for it and kind of weighed up the pros and cons of taking over an existing business as opposed to building one from scratch and there yeah. are pros and cons yep and you know decided it was worth going for and within a couple of months we'd negotiated it we we Literally, it was on the, the weekend of the grand final. Got the keys within ten days. We turned it into Black Ops yeah, Brisbane. It like was a quick. Cool block. It was so much fun. It was quick. Yeah. Yeah, we were very impressed. Yeah, it was it cool. <laughs> I was loving it. I was like, just because I, I do the. That was where I first met you because you're like, oh, you bit a chap, and I was walking, oh, yeah, the, walking road. the street. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, when's the distillery opening? How you got a distillery? Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was super fun. I love that. I mean, it, it wasn't fun driving to Brisbane. That was shit. Yeah, yeah. But the well, actual there wasn't the full traffic then either yet. Yet. No, but it's still just it's, it's just a, a hike. it's a terrible drive ev- to do every day. Yeah, it is. It's a bit yeah. of a bit of a hike. Fifty five minutes, I think. To, mm, to Southport, depending on the traffic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but no, that was really fun, and then we got it open really quickly, and then it just became another. We just love it as a ability to have our brand, because our business has very much been built on the idea of people coming into the tap room and having an experience. Hundred percent. And even though it's the tap room turnover is a small percentage of the overall business, it's it's marketing. It's the it's all branding and marketing, yeah. and the, you know, how much people love. I think you got away with it the easiest out of all the different breweries because, like, even um, uh, Stone and Wood, like they invested fucking heavily into that one in the valley. Yeah. Uh, just to have a footprint. Stone would have got a fair bit more money than we do. 100%. So that, 100% yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're a little bit older than you guys as well. I mean, they're, they're great. They do, yeah. they do great things. Solid. Yeah. And and they yeah. execute well like you guys as well. Yeah, they've done a great job. I think they've just announced they're building a $50 million brewery down there just around the corner from their current massive one that they've already outgrown. That's insane. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And this is something they've been planning for years. They're, they're way ahead of everyone. Um. So what's on the cards for you guys over the next... Six to twelve months. Oh God, we've just launched AWOL, which is a barrel aged oh, beer. That's what I want project. to talk. Yeah, yeah. Explain AWOL because yeah. you just launched that. <laughs> if I'm going to talk about it, how, how how are we going for time? I'm definitely going to have to go to the, the toilet if I'm going to. Yeah, yeah. AWOL. If you want to go now, you can run off. I'm going to go now. Yeah, yeah. Go now. I was going to try and hold it in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's been good. Been good so far. Uh, while Dan is off. Thanks again for uh, tuning into the podcast. Uh, again, we don't do any ad- any advertising on this, so if you uh, would love to share or like to share, give us a review on um, on iTunes or on Google, etc. Mean the world to us. Uh, or you can just tag someone in or refer a friend. We'd really appreciate it. So we're just trying to hope to to build out and encourage, like I discussed earlier, um, what. It's like to start from nothing and, and go through the realm, realms of growing your business and all the real real nitty-gritty shit instead of um, uh, just talking like we're balls all the time. How are you going, Ryan? Yeah, I'm all right. Good? Going well? It's Ryan's first podcast today, so he's a uh, rookie, rookie day. Very rookie. <laughs> Very new to this. That's all good, man. You're doing a good job. Um what else was I going to say? Oh, uh, I just cannot believe. Uh, I, I love hearing about their stories in regards to like just ha- sitting around at a pub and just meeting someone at an existing brewery, and then you're uh, actually able to just go off and or just, again people t- who take an action and they're like, oh yeah, let's just catch up because you know you're at, you can be at bars sometimes you meet someone who's really cool, yeah, and they're like, oh yeah, we'll we'll go do this together. And you're like, yeah, whatever, mate, and no one ever comes through. <laughs> And it's those rare people that actually come back and, and smash out of the park like Dan and actually execute on it. So it's pretty good. I got a, I got a, well, I got a question for you. So as I walked yeah, yeah. off, you're like, it's been good. Uh, have you, have you had a podcast where the person's worked off and it's been bad? And you said that? No, no, no. The worst podcast <laughs> we did, and it wasn't even the worst. It was the biggest learning one. Was our first one, and that's because I had no fucking idea. How to have interviewed someone. Yep. Like literally when it came to the world of podcasting, I, I listened to a lot 
and I was like, you know what, we need to do something for content for our customers, um, with something engaging. And I just wanted the opportunity to talk to amazing people um, through my friends in business, and, and then get to expand my network out and and be able to pass on that knowledge to to people who are interested in, in our industry. Um, and so that first one, I think was I, I look back at it now, I'm like, oh my fucking god, it was worse. We drank two bottles of bourbon. We shit faced. I couldn't hold. We couldn't hold a conversation on topic. Wait, is this still published? All published. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, I'm gonna definitely listen to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And 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 it's been really cool for me to go through and watch. So this is number ten, and from number one to number ten, completely different. Yeah. Like even to the point where used to try and talk over people, like had that conversation, and then it's actually just it's not about me, even though it's our podcast. It's about the guests. Yeah. And learning about their story and, and passing on information as well. So it's a tricky thing. It is much easier to listen to a podcast than actually do one. I did I did 100%. a podcast pretty early on when I was doing the stuff with the uh, online business. And I think I did a hundred episodes of just Skype chats with people. Yeah. Um but I like the like the in person podcast I think is so much better, Huge. which is what we try to do at Black Ops because yeah. it's just I deliberately did not do any I have been in quite a few podcasts where it's been video. You, you don't get the energy. Yeah. And I've said, I've had people like, oh, we won't talk more than half an hour. What the fuck are you talking about? Three hours later. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, we got to, we'll wrap this up. We're done. Blah, blah, blah. And, and they're like, oh my God. Like, this is the first time I've actually had, uh, the reason why I love this long form podcast is number one, you can chop it up um, for smaller bits of content that are actually relevant to different segments of your market. Yeah. But also, um, how often do you get to sit down with someone and have a real conversation for two hours mm. or more? Because you're sat, you, like yourself, you're that fucking busy. Yeah. Where you're always on the go, you've got stuff happening. Like today, it's we usually do these podcasts in the evening to the night. So today we're during the middle of business hours. So that's why we got a few interruptions here and there. We get judged for drinking beer since it's like 10 o'clock. No, we didn't tell anyone <laughs> that either. <laughs> you have now. Yeah, I know. That's all right. I think, yeah. And, and again, it's just like fitting into the realm. Um, and, and being and for me, this is like being real. So yeah, we run a business. I, my ideal goal was to do a podcast every fucking week, which is what I love. And and as I'm um, delegating the, those positions out, so I can focus working on the business instead of in mm. and helping manage my team and, and give them all the resources they need. This for me is a part of that content marketing structure yes. that you uh, have been very successful at. And it's also helping building my brand, the business brand, and and then all the realms of content out there as well. So, yeah, I I just I love it. And again, I get to hang out with awesome people, learn, um, and then create stuff that our customers hopefully find valuable as well. Yeah, it's a tricky thing too because I I um like you say you've done ten. I'm sure you wanted to do a lot more than that. And same as us. Like I bought yeah. all this equipment, not not as fancy as here, but bought this equipment thinking, okay, every week we're going to do like a kind of Joe Rogan style. Not Joe, as Joe Rogan as this one with the antlers and shit. But <laughs> well, that was an accident. I, we just liked same same subject. It was an accident. There's just like an antler on the wall. Well, he hasn't got antlers on the wall, has he? I don't know that. No, I don't think he does. does we've, he? we've got a part of our distillery. He's got distiller. some hunting shit on the wall. Yeah, I think he's old shit. He does. These are actually Blesbok and Springbok from my friend whose partner wouldn't let him keep it, and I went, "How dare you keep that in boxes in storage? This is you got to put them up." Okay, yeah, no, I'm I'm not having a go at you. Yeah, it's, no, no, it's no, great. no, no, but yeah, it, it, why why mess with a, a format that already works? So yeah, and, and it's again, it's long format. Everyone's like these little half hour chop chip bits and edit it. 
and I really just like the whole flow of a real conversation. And yeah, well, the the worst one I well, like the Steve Baxter one I did was the probably the only episode we've done on our podcast that was just kind of shit. Mm. And we we published it. I was sort of thinking maybe we shouldn't publish this because it's just a bit lame. <laughs> but real. you could just tell he wanted to get out of there. And when you're doing a Skype call, it's like he's he's probably way busier than all of us. Yeah. So you could just kind of tell he, you know, okay, he agreed to do it for 30 minutes, but it's kind of like, how long do we have left? I'm like, dude, this is shit. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. And you can't do bring me up, bring it up, Jamie, which I'm I'm looking at Jamie now. He's not actually called Jamie, but right. we haven't done that yet, so we've got to do that. Yeah, soon. yeah. Well, okay. We haven't had anything to. Uh, to oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll use that. Don't worry. We haven't uh, had to fact check anything. Okay, we we will. Or look something up to verify it. Yep. So tell us about AWOL, because AWOL is this brand new concept. I saw that first little image and I went, uh, I was actually reading maybe three weeks before uh, about a brewery in the US and all they did was barrel aged beers. Right. Remember so, the name of the brewery? Um, no, no idea. It was in, because I was looking at barrels yep. to do our Yaniva gin, which we'll have. And uh, yeah, it came up. And they had grown rapidly over the last 12 months. And it was a, uh, America usually gets stuff or trends about two to three years yes. before Australia. Yeah. At least. And so I saw this and I went, that is fucking great. I know um, Newstead has done a, a, a couple of uh, tequila aged barrel um, beers, which were, I th- thought were fucking delicious as well. But when you launched AWOL, I was super excited. So give us a brief on the, on the, Lowdown, how that came up, and what yep. what the fuck is AWOL? <laughs> so this is, again, another pretty wild, no pun intended, story. Um, it's like a little mini Black Ops inside of Black Ops. And again, it dates back to, so we, when I went to America to sell WP Curve, it was, other than that one meeting, it was a holiday for me. I went there for a week. I hired a Tesla, drove from um, LA to San Francisco, Literally just to meet my co-founder and do that meeting, but for the rest of it was a holiday. Along Coastal Road? Yeah. Yeah, how it was, beautiful is it that? It was amazing. It was so nice. It was the best holiday I've ever had. Um, and, but, you know, like one one thing on that holiday stood out for me. It was a mate of mine who lives in Ojai, which is inland from Ventura. It's like a little, it's like almost like Bangalore or something. Like it's a really beautiful little mountain sort of town. Yeah. Um. He's like, oh, we should go to the bottle shop. We'll have a beer. And I'm like, what do you mean go to the bottle shop and have a beer? He's like, no, I'll, I'll show you. So this is like during the day after we went to some vegan cafe or something down the street for breakfast. We walk into this <laughs> bottle shop. You know you're in California. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we walk in and is, there's a craft beer wall that's probably 30, 40 meters long, this wall of all craft beer. And, we, and this is in this tiny little town. And we get to the end of that, and at the back of the craft beer bottle shop, they've got a bar with fifty-two taps. Wow! And what was this called? I oh, fuck knows. It was just what town was it? Ojai. Ojai. Yeah. All right. O J A I. It's an amazing place to go. It's beautiful, beautiful place. Um. But and then we, you know, we we went out to dinner a couple of times. Every restaurant we went to, every cafe we went to, they've got the big tap system out the front. They've got big seven percent IPAs on yep. tap from three or four different breweries. It's impossible not to find good beer over there. Yeah. And you know, at the time, it was almost impossible to. It was borderline impossible to find good beer in Australia unless you went to a dedicated craft beer venue like the Scratch or Archive, places yep. like that. Yep. Hoo ha bar. There wasn't. And Gold Coast, there wasn't really anything. There was a couple of bars opening up. And so that experience, you know, made me really think, man, this craft beer thing is 
a whole new level in America. And it's not like everyone, everyone here is like, okay, crappy is big in America. But when you go to some random small town and see how far it's permeated, you know, like we went to some random pizza restaurant and it's got seven taps of craft beer. Yeah. Um, every, I think the difference was every, uh, they had the real concept and because they had like some of those German fanners like Budweiser and we go when I was in St. Louis to the Budweiser factory and stuff like that. Local, regional, brew for your local customers. Yeah. And we're just starting to do that. Yeah, that's, really. a, that's the thing. And it, it, where we were had so far years behind. of doing it. So. Yeah. And then they were, I think, I remember just looking at the kind of generally quoted percentages and I think they were at 20% craft beer and we were at 4% or something yeah. like that. So I could see this was definitely coming here. I mean, any Blind Freddy could see that it was coming here. Yeah. Um, and after that experience, I knew I really wanted Eddie and Govs to, to go to America. They hadn't been, I just, it, you can't explain it to people. You need to go there. And um, we eventually got the opportunity to go there in 2018. It was to predominantly to kind of get inspiration for building the second brewery. Um, but, you know, in hindsight, in that 10 day period, I think we had 11 flights. We went everywhere. Not everywhere in America. Fuck America is a very big place. We Sa- went to same size as Australia pretty much. Yeah, but there's just <laughs> Population so, everywhere though. But there's so, so much variance in like Geo. We were, Geo's. If we go from coast to mountains to desert. We, we were flying. Desert. We were going from negative 20, flying over ice lakes, ending up in the desert. on the coast. Like <laughs> it, it was fucking, America's crazy. It's beautiful. And it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I'd grown up with parents who hated America, hated everything about it. And I just had no concept of how fucking awesome it was. Like, I love like, it. I know there's some bad yeah. things about it as well, but I, it. It I did college awesome over place. there and my, uh, my sister ended up marrying an American Navy officer. So right. like it's second home. So it is an there's, amazing place. Yeah. And you can do whatever you want to do. Right. If you fucking go and have a good crack at it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of opportunity. And I mean, yeah, there's pros and cons like yeah, anything. But 100%. I was I was, blown, <laughs> I was blown away by by that. And I wanted that experience for them. Awesome. We went over there and, you know, it's like, it's like when you do something at the time, you don't realize how big a thing it is. Yeah. But we had so many experiences over there that turned into really big things that we're doing now. And this was three years ago now. But one of them was... Through Stone and Wood, we lined up a visit to a brewery called New Belgium. They're in Fort Collins in uh, Colorado. It was the only reason we, we flew into Denver, just to go to this brewery. Yeah. And our pr- predominant reason for the trip was to go to Nebraska and look at the equipment that we would potentially be buying for an expansion. Wow. Um, and, but it turned into so much more than that. And one of the things was we, we went to this new Belgian brewery. We got there at 10 o'clock in the morning. We'd literally flown into the city just to go to this brewery. It was at the time an employee-owned brewery that specialised in um, barrel-aged beer. And since, unfortunately, has been sold from the employees to, I think, Lion Nathan. And oh, they wow. sell it, They sell their beers in Australia now. I shouldn't say unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Whatever happens, happens. Changed the game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they exited out and got paid. Well, yes. Yeah. A- anyway, th- that aside, the independence thing aside, at the time, it was it was the best brewery tour we've ever done by a mile. Like we got there at ten o'clock in the morning, we sat at the bar, we got a nitro coffee, ten percent stout, oh, kick things off. That's how you start your morning. Yeah, and it was <laughs> and it was snowing. Um, this tour, we had uh, one lady who showed us around this brewery. I think for six hours, just me, Eddie, Jesus. and Govs. Um. And we we would bl- I mean the hospitality in America is next level, but this was just like next next uh, level. next next level. We didn't pay for any of this, yeah. And we were not a big 
thing. It was just like Stone and Wood distributed their beer in Australia. They said, look after these guys. And we just got the experience of a lifetime over there. That you know, they had a slippery slide on that tour. We had snow fights. We oh just got tours through the barrels. It was amazing. Anyway, a couple of years later, the guys we've been talking about doing this barrel age thing. Um, we had a, a venue with with our beer on tap. We got a call from someone who worked at Stone and Wood. Said, "Oh, this beer you've got on tap has gone sour because there's an infection in the limes." And this guy Ed was paid by Stone and Wood to go around to all the customers and check the taste the beer and clean the limes. Yep. We didn't do that because because we, we don't have enough money to pay people to do that. He rung us up and like I'm cleaning these lines. Your keg's fucked. The lines are fucked. Um, so so Eddie went out there, p- picked the beer up, brought it back. We normally tap the beer when we get it back from a customer just to try it, just for fun. Yeah, just or to see what's up. Yeah, or for if, QA or if, and or if their taste buds are off. Yes. Oh, that <laughs> happens a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. bet. Yeah. Um. And then I, I came in one day on the weekend. Eddie's like, "We got this beer back from the venue, and it tastes really good." It was just, it was just like a way. It was away from the brewery. It came back. It tastes really good. We're thinking of putting it on at the tap room. And I'm like, That's "I mean, a special limited this, edition." Yeah, and I'm like, "This is this seems dodgy, very dodgy to me. Like this is like an off beer." Yeah. Um, and I didn't know a lot about sour beers, but it tastes. It did taste really good. And Eddie looked up. Uh, um, it, it had to put the style into untapped and it was like American wild ale. It was the style. So then, you know, it was away from the brewery. So American wild ale. And then the word AWOL popped into us, into our head somehow. Yeah. So we put in the tap room as AWOL. This is, this is going back three years now. Yeah. Okay. And tasted great. Got rid of it really quickly. Used a little bit of the rest to make, to put another one into a barrel to make it again. Yep. And then we had a couple of barrels of it. We'd bring it back. We would do like AWOL one, AWOL two, AWOL three. So you were and recycling then, that yeast strain yeah, across yep. it? Yeah, yeah. And then um, some at some point last year, we started thinking about doing like more barrel-age stuff. So we bought a few barrels and we were considering doing something in Brisbane. Eventually, the unit next to Black Ops HQ opened up and it was this old meat factory and it was yeah. fucking <laughs> disgusting. Actually, can you bring that up, Jamie? Can you can you bring up our Instagram? And um, Ryan, look at what, what's it look up? AWOL. AWOL so beer on Instagram. So we put this post up yesterday, the gallery, and it's got how it looks now with the nine photos and then how it looked when we took we'll over. We'll put a little insert in the um in the Just YouTube put in thing. the before yeah, photo. Yeah, it's yeah. fucking disgusting. <laughs> it was like it was a meat factory with carcass racks hanging from the ceiling, mold and shit Ugh. everywhere, plastic how strips. How the fuck are they allowed to cut meat in place like that? I don't know. It was disgusting. <laughs> it was it smelt awful. Um and it looks it looks amazing. Did you now. find it? Uh, it says I have to log in. It's not loading. Oh, okay. So uh, we'll, we'll pull it up. We'll, we'll right. put it inside Wait, anything. G- well, at least at least Google AWOL. Do like inside Gold Coast AWOL and you'll see how it looks now. Um, yeah. And yeah. it looks mint. And oh, it was man. I see. It's like like Palm Springs, like <laughs> really cool, uber cool. Yeah, it's, it looks really nice. So that so that was a fun project for me to do the taproom side of things, for Govs to look after all the barrel side of things. We just... We just wanted to do a fun project. Yeah. And so how big is the space? And so it's a bar. Oh, sorry, a tap room with a warehouse. The agent barrels in there. Yeah. So it's it's actually, again, a weird story. A, a guy rocked up at Black Ops one time and said, "Oh, you know that factory next to you, which is it's sort of it's behind the car park. It's just a brick wall." Mm. He's like, "You know, this is just used for this guy's garage. It's not actually tenanted. It's just like all of his shits in there." Um. And he's thinking about, you know, leasing it out because he wanted to sell the building. And he's like, I might as well lease this out. I get my money when I sell it. And so I was like, oh, okay, can you show us through? 
this is a few years before, so we're like, okay, this works, but we can't get here without driving around the corner. So we're like, can you just cut a hole in this wall? And they had a really dodgy builder who was happy yeah. to do that. <laughs> so they cut a hole in the wall, put a ramp in, and then down the end of this storage area, which was really dodgy, there was an already cold room that was being used as a garage. Oh, my God. So that became the Black Ops HQ cold room, which we really needed. Um, the front tenancy was the, the meat factory. The back tenancy was an animal pet food factory. And when they sold the building, none of these guys were on leases. Yeah. And they're all paying fuck all, and the buildings was, was revolting. See you later. So we just decided to take the whole lot. Yeah, wow. Actually, I was negotiating the lease for the front one. The, the landlord was being pretty hard, and I was like, well, if we take the back one, can you give us like a better Good price deal. than the front one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, hey, you take the whole thing, then fine. So we took the whole thing. Um, the front meat factory we transformed into the AWOL tap room. The middle one's still the ramp into storage. Uh, in between, there's a little room we've got the barrels in, but then right down the back, we've got another room that we call AWOL 2, which we only take people to on tours, yep. which you can only get to by walking through the cold room, Wow! which is a whole other room full of barrels, and there's like fairy lights and tables and stuff down there. We can do like sensory. Little events. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's awesome. So how many barrels have you got, or how many litres of beer you got down? We've got about 250 barrels, I think. Wow. Yeah. And all different style. They've all been pre, uh, pre-barreled with like bourbon, all yeah. the different stuff we've got so and we've also got so in in fort collins when we went to new belgium they had these things called fooders that are food of forest and a fooder is basically a a vertical barrel it's like a fermenter but it's wood yep and you know they're like two three four thousand liters yeah yeah but they just sit in their own sort of fermenter factory and you walk around them it's really fucking cool um so we've got a couple of those yeah, cool. And how many liters? Two thousand. Yeah, wow. So they're as big as the small tanks we've got at HQ. The ones that BH two are almost twenty thousand, so way bigger. But did you have them custom built? Or we bought them from a winery, and then we got our plumber to cut them open, which they told us not to do. Mm. So far, they haven't. Nothing bad's like, happened. Yeah. But we we put chiller pipe through the middle of the barrel or the fooder, hmm. so we could run glycol fluid through it. You know, like a radiator yep. type situation, yep. so the beer can be kept at a reasonably consistent Temps. temperature yeah. and it's just manual we can turn it on and off just to to so it's not stupid adjust hot. it yeah yeah so that's that, so cool yeah you can buy jacketed ones they're really expensive it doesn't look as good doesn't look as good and stupidly expensive so we got these x wine barrels for quite cheap um i mean when i say quite cheap i think they're five grand each but you know like fermenters cost more than that 100 yeah, percent. Um, yeah yeah so yeah we've got those and then we've got barrels ranging from Gin, we've got Lark whiskey barrels, we've got yep. Lark, we've got X Buffalo Trace barrels that have used by Lark to make barrel aged gin awesome. that we're doing our pink mist in. We've got white wine, red wine, beanly rum. Yep. Whole bunch of whole I'll bunch of some things. bitter chap gin barrels when we're done with ours yeah, yeah. as well. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> um bef- uh, we'll, we'll wrap up soon because we're hitting two and a half hours. But uh, I wanted to have your thoughts on all this nft shit that's going around at the moment and if you have any um inkling to integrate that into the, the brewing scene we, we don't have we don't have any plans to do anything ourselves but i've got a couple of guys i know working on things yeah um what are your thoughts on the whole nft and and crypto at the moment because it is absolutely peaking out of its it's, it's, minor. it's wh- fucking wh- crazy like our, the, the the mate i've got who helped me build the supply drop drop app he's got a business called the app match they, they help companies build apps he's like balls deep in crypto. Yeah. Um, and I'm messaging him all the time. Like the shit he's doing is just, it blows my mind. But he started his own coin. He's got all this 
Deffy shit, like these Deffy loans and shit he's doing. It, right. it's, it's way too beyond what I'm capable of understanding. Yeah. Um, but I got into it. Well, I first got into it when I bought, I bought two Bitcoin when it was $400. <laughs> um, just because I, I, I don't know, I probably heard on a podcast somewhere and they're like, this could be a big thing. Yeah. Um, and again, it's like when we started Black Ops, it felt like, it always feels like you're late. Because you hear something somewhere else, and when you do something, it feels like you're late. Yeah. But then quite often, you actually turns out you're early. You're still in that t- first twenty percent to market. Well, I mean, Bitcoin four hundred dollars. It ended up getting to seventy five thousand dollars a coin. So this was very early. Yeah, I, I think scheme. I had, uh, I had about five hundred dollars worth, and I used it as a currency. Yeah. See yeah. you later. Like yeah, yeah. it was gone. So. Well, no one. Th- I mean, no hindsight. One I remember Until when Wall I bought Street mine, got involved. And that, it was until Wall Street got involved and made it a commodity versus a currency. That's right. when it all changed the game, I think. Well, I, I think I remember like the real niche sort of people were saying like one day Bitcoin could get to $100,000. And if that happened, you know, I figured, okay, I've spent 400 bucks. 800 bucks for me at the time was quite a lot of money. Yeah. Um, but I thought, oh, maybe it'll get to 100 grand one day. So let's just take the risk. Ended up, when it, when it all went nuts in 2018, I bought a bunch more crypto currencies and I, so I i kept my bitcoin at the time i bought lisk ethereum a whole bunch of other ones didn't yep. buy doge yeah wish i did <laughs> <laughs> it was around though like it was yeah, known, yeah, yeah, it was a known yeah. thing um and it was litecoin and it was when bitcoin cash separated from bitcoin it was all going off at that time as well yeah and it went up i think bitcoin went as high as let me think maybe 25 30 grand or something yep. when it's i had I, at the time <clears throat> i think i got to 100 grand in bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, which I'd, I don't know, I'd paid not that much for. Yeah. And I had this ATO debt as well. Eventually, it started coming down. I was like, okay, this is the fun's over. Get it out. I, I got rid of it all, paid off the ATO, um, which was nice. Yes. Um, but then but then recently, when it started going off again, I bought more Ethereum because I, I figured uh, Ethereum at least... It's got the well, It's being used a lot. Yeah, and it's got that core. It's the blockchain for NFTs. It's being used for everything. Yeah. So, like, Bitcoin's always got this thing around it where it's like this thing that's happened with Elon hasn't surprised me because it's always got this thing around it where it's like actually kind of a bit of an outdated thing and there's some some problems with it. It's the beauty. It's the first child. Yeah. It was the concept. It's got. It's like the Vegemite. Yeah. Promite's never the same. Yeah. So, so when I was getting FOMO'd this last time around, I was like, okay, I'm going to spend like a few grand on crypto. (laughs) I'm going to go with Ethereum because at least that's being used, like, practically being used for a whole bunch of things. And, you know, it's got a lot of people working on this thing, a lot of smart people behind it. So I've, I've done that. The NFT side, that's super interesting. I've got a mate who's working on uh, Crypto Tins, which is a beer design NFTs. Cool. Um, I think he set up an Instagram account for it. But can you bring, bring that up, Jamie? Or we? He's getting old, isn't it? That's like the third <laughs> time I've said that. And his name's not even Jamie. He's like, I think that makes it more fun. Ryan's like, fuck off, mate. <laughs> fuck, off, fuck off, Jamie. You could start calling me Jamie and it would be fun for both Everyone of us. Everyone would be called Jamie. Hello, Jamie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so he's, he's our designer and he's working on the idea of selling NFTs for, you know, like you release a limited release beer yep. and then you could have an NFT. I think it's fun. Yeah. Uh, who knows if it'll go anywhere. Uh, I think the the best because we're looking at NFT stuff at the moment for our products and we've we've got a lot of collectible stuff with our art. But one of the thing that uh, one of the things that I saw and probably Gary Vee's done this the best at the moment was his V friends, which is you buy the art, yeah, it's cool, but then that's your ticket to an event for three years, right? And then you've got some background stuff behind it, which is behind the scenes, which which comes with the NFT, and 
if that person sells NFT at any stage for whatever price it goes for, the royalty comes back. Right. So it's yeah built into the thing. Perpetual. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's it's an amazing branding exercise and also, um, yeah, ju- just to engage your hardcore customers because it's it's special. Like if you've got a piece of original stuff that's set out, which you have all the benefits of, it's just like walking to the VIP club, like or your black Amex or whatever, mm. you know? It's like, hey, I've, I'm one of these people and makes the customers feel special and engaged. Yeah. I think it's got a, a lot um, to play out, but it, a lot was, of interesting stuff happened. I was very it. skeptical at first. Yeah. But I've I've done like maybe a week's work, like 72 hours plus five well, five days, like full-time research in, over the last couple of months. And it's pretty exciting. So Yeah, these things are always like really, really close to being like either a scam or being something Correct. really significant. And it's you can you can write it off as a scam. Exactly. But I think the people who kind of wrote all this off as a scam. Maybe maybe they're thinking now, like you know, there is something to this. Exactly. Because you know the amount of the amount of activity that's happening. Yeah, if it's used properly, because again, a lot of hype. I know. I remember I got into sports cards well for a bit. Uh, we got into the UFC style of it because they weren't being really popular, but right. that made the most ROI. I earned more money on that in a three week period than I did in a year in the stock market. Doing like what? I, on uh, sports cards. Really? Yeah. Buying UFC cards? Buying UFC cards. Wow. And then you blew up. You, re- you are like an Aussie Gary V. <laughs> not even. <laughs> nowhere near. Uh, thank you. That's very <laughs> flattering, but no, nah, not even a chance. I'm, I'm trying to learn as much as I can from uh, as much as I can. Just have a crack. But again, it's just doing that work, doing the research because y- you buy in the next minute. Like if we go into a depression or anything, who the fuck is paying $10,000 for a card? You know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's sort of irrelevant. Interesting. I like the. I like the. I've been talking to Dave about his crypto tins thing. What I like about that is, like you mentioned before, with the you know the percentage goes to the original creator. W- one of the big things with design, you, I'm sure you would know this with what you do is, like da- Dave's an amazing designer. He he dri- uh, designed yeah. this can here. I work with him. Like we message each other late at night about design shit all the yeah. time. Like it's I would, important. It's critical. Yeah. And and good designers are really hard to find. Yep. And. I have never had enough money to pay what they're worth. Yeah. And so I, what I like about what he's working on is like potentially if someone buys the NFT for a particular design, the designer gets – it's a way for the designer to monetize their work as opposed to charging the brewery more to design the can in the first and place. And making it valuable. Like, you know, if someone yeah. puts in a really good thing and it wins an award and then this can is huge, some other brewery might buy it for a million bucks yeah. and put it on there, like everything but the logo, but whatever. Yeah, I think that the um, there's a lot of love that goes into design in our industry. Like designers will do it for the love, but yeah. you know, there's there's only a certain amount of work you want to put in your life just for the love, and people need to get paid. So these interesting avenues for this to happen, I think, are worth looking at. There's another one. I got an email from a guy we used to work at with QR. Uh, he's working on something called Moon Pirate. Which have you heard of this? No, it's I haven't. a it's a like my knowledge of crypto and NFTs yeah. is not very good. So yeah. if people are listening, you know more than I might be embarrassed. Google but, it, yeah. But it's a, uh, um, basically it's I think it's the world's first actual alcoholic product that's tied to a cryptocurrency. Yeah, wow. So he's working with gin distill uh, a gin distillery and a brewery on doing a product that people buy into. What's it called? Moon Pirate. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, they're How doing interesting. it. Interesting. And he sent it to us saying, "Do you want to get involved in this?" And we're like, "Oh no, that 
that's too <laughs> that's hard, too way busy. Too hard <laughs> yeah. And um and then my mate who's really into the crypto a couple of weeks later, like messing me, he's like, dude, have you seen this? And I'm like, Yeah, I know that guy used to work with that guy QR. <laughs> and I just saw today they're doing a launch at catchment around the corner. Yeah. We're yeah. doing the beer for it. Wow. Um so yeah, it's all it's all happening. Dude, it's exciting times. Um yeah, I, I'm excited to see where the, the brewing industry goes over the next couple of years because, again, there's been a lot of change in the market, like the big guys coming in and buying up a lot of the, the shakers and movers and whatever. What what are your thoughts over the next five to ten years that's going to happen in the industry? And uh, you guys going to stay independent, true and true, with your investors or are you going to – I'd like to. Yeah. yeah, I'd like to. Um, I Actually, I've written a big article about staying independent. We haven't published it. I'll have to chat to the guys and see if I can publish it because yeah. at the time it was sort of like – Maybe it's not the best idea to publish an article don't, that says don't you do don't want to sell. <laughs> yeah. But um, I don't want to sell the business. Yeah. Um, it's a very, very hard business to constantly be working on and never have the ability to sell. You know, there are other exit options, but it's pretty tough to stay independent. You're competing. These days you're competing. Like in the past, you were competing against big companies who were making a product that wasn't what these craft beer drinkers wanted. Yeah. That was the fundamental truth. It yeah. was like, the craft beer drinker hated the bigger companies because they were making macro lagers that they didn't want to drink. That's not the case anymore. You know, like Bolter are owned by Asahi CUB. Yep. They make a fucking good beer. Like they brought a limited release out today, the same day we brought ours out. It's probably just as good as ours. Their beer's fucking great. Their branding is the best in the world. Yeah. Uh, their team is amazing. The brewery facility is amazing. You know, they've obviously got a great team, they good budget. Cat behind them. Yeah. It, and so... You know, it's a different world now. You're like you're, there's not that many independent small breweries who are going to be able to compete with that. It used to be, you know, you're competing with a macro lager or they'll buy a company out and then the product would go to shit and then everyone would hate the product. It'd find a new audience, but yep. it wouldn't it wouldn't be satisfying that craft audience. But it's not like that anymore. You know, Bolter beers are great. Pirate Life beers are great. They're owned by the bigger companies, but they're still, you know, they're still made in Australia. They're still got the whole local craft thing going. They're still making craft tasty beers. So um, the whole competing against that is really, really challenging. And I would like to think we can do that and never sell. Yeah. And I'm hoping that's true, but it's fucking hard. Well, man, <laughs> I hope you're very successful in it. I'm sure you will be. Uh, we've almost done almost done three hours. So Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, thanks so much, Dan. Uh, where can everyone find your Black Ops beer and follow yourself? Uh, I mean, I'm on Instagram at the Dan Norris. I wouldn't even follow myself. I just put pure <laughs> shit up there. Like, I, occasionally, I put nice photos on there that are taken by other people. I, I, to be honest, I put mostly photos of my dog. I've got a new dog called Elon. It's a, it's a badass. You dog. can follow him. Yeah, just yeah. follow him. Follow Elon the Pocket Bully on Instagram. That's way more entertaining than anything I put on there. Um. Yeah, Black Ops on Instagram, AWOLs on Instagram, Black Ops Brisbane's, Black Ops Tap Rooms. We've got all kinds of Instagrams going awesome. on. Well, make sure you try their beer, guys. You can get it at bottle shops all over in Australia. Yeah, um, Nationwide in Dan Murphy's and then Independence. All good Independence uh, locally. Thank you so much for your time, Dan. Thanks for having me. It's fun. Right. Thanks, Jamie. Cool. <laughs> he didn't even smile. <laughs> Is that enough? And we're done. <laughs> Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Uh, Dan's story is actually amazing. Um, it was uh, very relevant. I could uh, associate with him a lot. And I hope you guys found a lot of things that will help you on your little journey. Um, if you enjoyed it, please tag uh, someone else in or refer a friend. If you can give us a review on any of iTunes or um, Spotify or YouTube, if you're watching it on YouTube. 
that'd be great because uh, we don't do any ads. So please like and share. Uh, and I look forward to talking to you on the next podcast. See you soon.